Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And we have a massive UFC event this upcoming Saturday, January 20th, UFC 297, headlined by Sean Strickland and Driscus Duplessis for the middleweight championship. And also, in the co-main event, the Women's Bantamweight Championship will be on the line as it is currently vacant. Rockwell Pennington and Myra Bueno Silva will fight for that. We will be doing, um, to round out the episode at least, we will be dropping our entire UFC 297 predictions. It's going to be super fun. I always love doing that. I always love predicting UFC events, and I always love recapping them. So going to be super fun. Plus, we don't have UFC next weekend, so we have to treasure this pay-per-view as much as we can. Also, on today's agenda, NFL Wild Card has ended, and we are now on to the divisional round. We'll be dropping our divisional round predictions for the four games going down this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Actually, on my uh, on my little, uh, I mean, I always have like a sheet or if you want a script, if you want to call it, on my script for this episode, I wrote Wild Card predictions. So I'm clearly a week behind on everything that's going on. But um, yes, the divisional round goes down for the end. NFL. Gonna be fun. I'm gonna check in with the uh, 48 uh, 48 Laws of Power or whatever it is, the book I've been reading. Give you all a little glimpse into the chapter I've read. Of course, looking at some UFC news. And our surprise topic for this episode will be a ranking. A ranking, that's right. We're going to be ranking something. You may be like, Zachary, what are we going to rank? Today we are going to rank my top 10 female artists, my top 10 singers. This does include female groups, but they have to be like primarily all female groups. It was fun. It actually took me like 40 minutes to go through, find uh, 10, 10. It took me like 30 minutes to find 10 uh, singers or groups and then another 10 minutes on top for the 15 minutes honestly to rank them all but uh, it was fun it was, uh, it was a good time and we're going to be releasing all of those so gonna be uh, very fun to go over that on today's episode um, it is currently what is it it is currently January 18th as we continue to move through January lots of fun stuff up here in Minnesota for any of my uh, listeners not from the area Minnesota gets ridiculously cold weather and I mean it's been in the single degrees the negatives it has not been enjoyable you know I've experienced that all 21 years of existence and I still appreciate when warm weather is around me so with that let's Let's get right into the uh, new UFC news that has come out in the last two days since we have talked. Um, Of course, if anyone knows, I usually record my episodes uh, on Monday or Tuesday, and then usually second episode Thursday or Friday, primarily Mondays and um, uh, Thursdays is usually what we do, and there hasn't been too much. There has not been too much that has gone down since we last talked, but I was able to find a couple things. First off, uh, we'll get some unfortunate news out of the way, as Lerone Murphy, Lerone Murphy, undefeated featherweight fighter from England, currently ranked number 14th, uh, or tied with Alex Caceres for number 14th in the featherweight rankings, is unfortunately out of his February 10th Coleman main event at the UFC Apex against number 13 ranked Dan Ige with an injury. Very unfortunate. Was looking forward to watching Leroy Murphy fight. Uh, what even was the last time Leroy fought? He last fought July 22nd. Got a win over Josh Culiabo. Uh, he might even finish Josh in that fight. I can't recall, but I know that was a tough fight. It's a shame that that uh, is not going to go down. Um, of his 13 victories, I mean, six 
picks have been first-round finishes. I mean, this guy is super fun to watch. He's had some cool knockouts in the UFC. Hopefully, Leroy can um, return soon because I hate to see him hurt. I hate to see my sweet Leroy hurt. Uh, Danige, though, at 13, uh, they could definitely find an opponent for him. It's like, what, 20 days away? The question is whom? No one up. I don't see anyone above him really taking this fight. Maybe Sodik Yusuf, who's ranked number 12. He's coming off a loss to Edson Barbosa. Um, the only person below Dan is Alex Caceres, so maybe you could potentially see an unranked fighter. Except some, except this bout, maybe Diego uh, Lopez. Very fun, very fun fighter. Diego Lopez currently unranked in the featherweight division. Also, in new news, Dana White recently said at a uh, just a little media event that he still is unsure of Conor McGregor's return date, opponent, and weight class. So Michael Chandler is not official for the Conor McGregor fight at middleweight at UFC uh, International Fight Week, the final week of June. They're still working it out, so I figured why not theorize a bit? about whom uh, else it could be besides Michael Chandler. First off, the number one person has to be Michael Chandler, currently ranked number five at lightweight. I mean, he's been calling for this fight. Conor McGregor wants that fight. I think it's perfect. I think it's a perfect fight to make, and without a doubt, I do see that happening. I think I think one of the worst scenarios they could do would be trying to do Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 4. I really don't see them doing that, but I mean, if they do, it would just be an absolute disaster. We don't want to see that again. The last fight was absolute disaster with Conor McGregor breaking his ankle in the first round. Oh my gosh. What that was such a letdown. That was UFC two oh my gosh, was it what was that? That was two sixty seven, I think it was. I remember I was watching it in my basement, because it was on the same day as my grad party from high school, and when it happened, everyone was kind of in shock, and I was like, just like sitting there speechless. I remember my girlfriend looking at me and laughing, because I literally just had my jaw dropped. I was like, you, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I picked Poirier to win, but I was still hoping McGregor would win, and I was just like, you, you've got to be kidding me, McGregor. You'd not just break your freaking ankle, but... I don't know. Another potential opponent for Conor McGregor could be Nate Diaz. They're currently 1-1, one and, one, and a trilogy bout would be super interesting. Nate Diaz just posted that they want to, uh, he wants to make that fight. That fight was originally scheduled, actually, for UFC 200, but was pushed off until UFC 202. That is the rematch between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. That was way back in 2016, though. I mean, it's been a long time since then, and I just really hope that they make that fight. Some point in the future, it's starting to look bleak, starting to look like Conor McGregor might never fight again, but um, it's always interesting to see him tease potential returning opportunities to the UFC. Other than that, I mean, at welterweight is a weight class that I see him wanting to fight at a lot more. There, That's probably the weight class he's going to return at. There really isn't too many major fights. I mean, I think him versus Colby Covington would sell a bunch of pay-per-views, could be super interesting. Uh, him versus Leon Edwards could be a potential fight they do. Uh, Paulo Costa said he sees himself fighting Conor McGregor. No idea what that is about. You could always have him fight Rafael Dos Anjos. There's not much appeal there, but it is an option. But other than Michael Chandler, I mean, there's not really anyone. Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway, no winner their BMF fight at UFC 300. Maybe McGregor fights them. I don't know. I feel like it's just going to be a lot of speculation. And Dana, Dana is kind of, kind of up in there about what he wants to do. You know, Dana, as much as he has patience, he's someone that if you test his patience too much, he gets irritated. I feel like McGregor is kind of doing that. So we'll see who Conor McGregor ends up fighting. But as of now, unofficial. Some fun rumors going down for UFC 301, that is right, the post-UFC 300 event, which is rumored to be in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, going down May 4th. 
lot of rumors for that, including Alex Pajera potentially fighting Jamal Hill or Mohamed Ankalaev, most likely Jamal Hill at the moment, in the main event of that card. Other rumors that potentially Alexander Pantoa could fight um, Amir Albazi or Brandon Moreno, uh, or if Brandon Moreno beats Brandon Roy Val at uh, UFC Mexico City February 24th, that could be a potential option. We're also talking about the winner, if Myra Bueno Silva wins the Women's Bantamweight Championship this Saturday, that she could be on that card. Um, a lot of speculation about that. A lot of big fights that could be made for the return to Brazil. It'll be interesting to see if that does happen, but it does feel realistic. I mean, I feel after UFC 300, which is aiming to be the biggest fight card of all time, and I know people... Like, obviously, it's not going to get enough pay-per-view buys, but the amount of star power you're going to see on UFC 300, you're not going to see for a while. Because you you if you compare it to UFC 299, which UFC 299 is amazingly stacked, on that card, you have two top 10, top 10, even almost top 5 fighters on the prelims in Piotr Young versus Song Ye Dong and Matus Gamera versus Rafael Dos Anjos. And it's just abs- it's an absolutely loaded, loaded card, and UFC 300 is aiming to look better. UFC 300 currently has eight fights booked, and the max that the UFC usually does for a fight card is 14. So you could expect, I'd say, max six more fights announced. Minimum, you're going to see four to five more fights announced. So UFC 300 still up in the air, because I'm hearing that potentially Alex Barra could main event UFC 300. I mean, it is. there's still rumors. No one knows what the main event's going to be of UFC 300. But as of right now, I mean, I don't know if you can put the BMF belts between Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway over Zhang Wei Li and Yan Cheonin just because BMF belt technically isn't a real UFC belt. It's kind of like a gimmicky belt. So that would potentially leave Max Holloway and um, Justin Gaethje being the third fight on the main card or even the second from the first fight on the main card. I I have no idea what they're going to do. And I'm also hearing rumors that they or people are speculating, fans are speculating that the entire main card is going to be uh, championship bouts, which means they would have three more championship bouts. I just I do not see that happening. But UFC 301 in Brazil, May 4th, I'm all in for it. And Alex Pereira being the main event, sign me up. Last UFC news that I got, of course, we'll be covering the whole card of UFC 297 to end the episode, was I saw that notable MMA journalist, uh, ESPN personality, I mean, he's he's on all sorts of stuff, Alex Behunin, always interviews one of the main event fighters for uh, upcoming cards and asks them their favorite, uh, favorite hobbies, video games, animals, athletes, stuff like that, and he interviewed Driscus Duplessis, so I figured I would go through some of the, all the questions he asked Driscus Duplessis and give my thoughts on if we like what Driscus Duplessis' favorite things are. So let's get into it because I always find it fascinating seeing other people's opinions of stuff. I mean, I'm a picky person. I have my own habits of doing things. So I always find it interesting to see how other fighters view stuff. So Driscus Duplessis' favorite food is sushi or pizza or bravalis. I Bravalis I recognize, but I don't know what they are exactly. Pizza, a go-to, and I've never had sushi. You know, I'm a little skeptical on sushi, so I don't know, Driscus. We'll let the pizza slide for that. His favorite drink is Castle Light. I don't know if Castle Light's a beer or, or whatever it is, but um, you know what? Um, I'm here. Actually, let's check it out. What is Castle Light? Because it sounds like a beer. I mean, they're going to call it Castle Light. I mean, most beers end in light. You got Miller Light, Bud Light. Um, it is a lager. It is a lager. Oh, South African Pale Lager. Oh, so he's into his IPAs. How about that? His favorite color is gold. I like that. I mean, my school colors for high school were gold. We were the Rangers, very much like that. His favorite movie is 
Unbroken. I Unbroken. Unbroken, Driscus. What is Unbroken? Have I seen this movie? Have I seen this? I got to type in movie behind Unbroken before I get the definition. Um, oh, that actually is a good movie um, by the Cohen brothers. Uh, it's basically about, it's a war drama film about a certain uh, a guy. He was captured by the Japanese. He had to fight his way back. Very valid, Driscus Duplass C. Favorite TV show is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Okay, so Driscus Duplass C is 70 years old. It is, I guess he's 70 years old. I won't lie, Driscus, that's actually a fire show if you're listening. Favorite video game, Grand Theft Auto. I mean, that is, that's a classic. Grand Theft Auto, there's so, the GTA franchise is so good. And GTA 6 coming out next year. Pretty crazy. Favorite song is Live It Up by Airborne. I don't know if I know that one. Favorite band or musician is Foco Polyaskar. Must be an African band, I'm assuming. Favorite place to travel is Poland. Oh, so you must hang out with Jan Blachowicz. If you're a light heavyweight fighter, former light heavyweight champion who's from Poland. Favorite animal is a dog. I mean, Driscus, you can't get much better than that. I have two yellow labs. I love dogs. Dogs are awesome. His favorite fighter is himself, so kind of egotistical. If I was a UFC fighter and someone asked who my favorite fighter is, I would give another fighter. But as for me, you know, I'm a talker. I go over a lot of things, so I would go weight class by weight class and give that person uh, my favorite fighter for every weight class. But Driscus thinks it's him. His favorite athlete is Schlockberger and Michael Jordan. Schlockberger. Okay, we have got to look up who Schlock Berger is. I have no idea who this guy is. He, oh, he's a rugby player, former professional rugby player. He's a member of the 2007 Rugby World Cup winning team and has twice been named South African Rugby Player of the Year and was even named the International Rugby Player of the Year in 2004. Wow, so he is legit. And Michael Jordan, I mean, come on. Who doesn't love Michael freaking Jordan? Very valid. Just his duplicity. Favorite all-time fight to watch is Mike Zambidis versus Chahide which was in K1 kickboxing. Actually, K1 kickboxing, or kickboxing in general, is technically what Driscus Duplessis style is listed at, which I find pretty fascinating. And he fought in K1, so I can definitely see that. His favorite knockout ever is Conor McGregor's 13-second knockout of Jose Aldo. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. That is That actually gives me an idea for um, a future episode idea while live on here. My top 10 KOs that I've seen in my time in the UFC, which is pretty good because I can go from UFC 242 to up till now. So that's only four years of fights. Wow. But I like that. You just gave me an idea. Alex Behunin, very nice. His favorite of his own fights was his last fight versus um, Robert Whitaker. Very valid. I, uh, I, I rock with that. I really rock with that. Um, actually, that was a shocking finish this past summer. No one saw that coming. Me and my cousin were in shock. Favorite sport to watch other than MMA is rugby and F1, Formula One racing. That's actually, those are some intense, intense sports. I think those are valid, Driscus. Favorite submission to practice? All of them. Okay. Every submission is Driscus's favorite. Or is Drakus. It might be Drakus Duplessis. I don't know. I might be pronouncing his name wrong. Favorite hobby is motorcycles and cars. Okay, so collecting them, driving them, looking at them. That's so vague. That is so vague. He just his favorite hobby is motorcycles and cars. What's the hobby? It's just motorcycles and cars. Okay. And his favorite quote is, I'll show you how great I am. Oh, who said that? Was that Muhammad Ali? I don't know who that was. I recognize it, though. All right, Driscus. You got some valid answers. You got some quirky answers. 
I'll let it slide. You're 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 kind of cool. You're kind of a cool guy, Driscus. I, I I like you. I like you. So that's all of our UFC news or up to date news, if you will. I kind of want to find that every week if they, I can see where they list the or Alex interviews the fighters and gives their answers. I, I find that I find that pretty funny, honestly. I find that pretty funny. So next up, let's uh, let's check on the forty eight laws of power because I honestly I honestly find this book very fascinating. I find it very cool, and last night I read the chapter, law number five, so much depends on reputation, guard it with your life, and I very much like this, because everyone has a reputation, no, reputation for being maybe powerful, maybe for being rude, for being funny, for being reliable, for not being reliable, and this chapter was very insightful into how, it was basically telling the story of this. Actually, I can find the names in the book. Um, this was back during the War of the Three Kingdoms in China, back way back when. I think it was in the 1500s or something. But uh, there's this guy named Chuko Liang, who was known as the Sleeping Dragon, and he was a very notable general. Everyone knew about him. And Sima Yi was another general for one of the other armies, and he was marching on the city to take out Chuko Liang, the Sleeping Dragon. And when he came to the gates, um, the Sleeping Dragon, Chuko Liang, was just standing at the gates, just looking down at him. The city gates were open. He had no other troops in sight. And... Sima Lee turned back because of the fear he had because he had a feeling it was a trap because he had a reputation for laying in wait like a sleeping dragon before attacking his prey. But a little did Sima Lee knew is that Chuka Leong had no troops in the sea. He only had about 100 men max. I mean, they caught him off guard, but he had a plot. He had an idea on how to counter it, and his reputation preceded him, so he was able to get around that. And it was just, it was very fascinating reading all about reputation. Um, they had this quote in here that I uh, found very, very fascinating. Um, reputation is the cornerstone of power. Through reputation alone, you can intimidate and win. Once it slips, however, you are vulnerable and will be attacked on all sides. Make your reputation unassailable. Always be alert to potential attacks and thwart them before they happen. Meanwhile, learn to destroy your enemies by opening holes in their own reputations, then stand aside and let public opinion hang them. Very, very cool. Very cool uh, reading all these stories. And as much as like I don't see myself using like other people's reputation to destroy them, I mean, I'm not a Hitler or a Stalin, someone like that. The examples they use aren't people like that. They're other people, like such as P.T. Barnum from the, uh, what's that Disney movie, The Greatest Showman? They talk about how P.T. Barnum, who was a real-life um, circus guy, uh, basically when he was he was going to buy his like magic emporium you know in the film it shows him s selling like the uh the boat the boat stamps or whatever that don't even exist to get in there um it was originally bought out by other other buyers and basically pt barnum ruined the reputation of those buyers and they came out of the deal and the bank actually sold the building to pt barnum so he was it wasn't really like a con artist type of situation but he was he was basically good at using tactics of his own to uh dive into others um the next book i'm actually i on my schedule i create myself a little whiteboard schedule for the week i told myself to read three laws today um as of 6 20 at night i'm yet to read three laws but the next one that i'll be reading law number six is called court attention at all cost the uh 
example or the uh, little brief, uh, what is it, glimpse into the chapter is everything is judged by its appearance. What is unseen counts for nothing. Never let yourself get lost in the crowd, then or buried in oblivion. Stand out. Be conspicuous at all costs. Make yourself a magnet of attention by appearing larger, more colorful, more mysterious than the bland and timid masses. Oh, I, uh, I recognize reading that a bit um, or just in like the early, earlier chapters when it gave brief, brief overview. And the tricky thing about standing out is you also can't stand out too much. There's like a certain balance to how much you stand out. And I think I practice that pretty good where you can't stand out such as like, um, you know, I hate to go there, but people, people in high school who would had colored hair, they wore tails, you know, they hugged in the hallway, like not just like hugged in the hallway, they freaking they, they made out in the hallway. You know, those people nowadays, they don't stand out in a good way. But someone like me who kind of floats around with some of like, if you want to call them like nerd kids or if you want to call them popular kids, someone like me who kind of gets along with everyone, that's a good way of standing out. But at the same time, you can't stand out too much. So I'm, I'll be interested to read about that. And um, over the weekend, I'm going to try and read like 10 laws, maybe even 12 laws. So then when we come back for next week's episode, episode 59, I'll have a lot more laws to share with everyone. So that's a, those are certainly very, very helpful and interesting. Plus I just like reading books like that. So, um, gosh, we only have three more things to talk about here on the podcast, but as we all know, I, uh, I always stretch stuff out and I can always go over things. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking we do our wild, our divisional round predictions. I keep saying wild card. I really, I'm going to etch that off the script right now. No wild card predictions, divisional. We're going to, we're going to give our divisional round predictions right now for this upcoming weekend. I did get notes. So I got some fun facts for you all as we have four, um, four matchups going down this weekend. Of course, the divisional rounds, uh, the Ravens and 49ers were on by, they were on by, so it'll be interesting to see um, how they do resting a week. I mean, historically, teams that rest a week, or even such as like the Browns are a perfect example, where they rested all their starters in week 18, and they just did not show up against the Texans whatsoever. It was super embarrassing, super, they just got blown out. They got blown out, and I don't even know what happened with the Cowboys. They, The Cowboys and Packers game still has me perplexed, but it's all in the past. Let's look at the future. We kick off the divisional round with the Texans visiting the Ravens at 3.30 on Saturday. And you know what? This is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. Um, this is this is actually some fun facts. The most recent appearance in a conference championship for the Texans has been never. They are 0-4 in the divisional round. They've never won a divisional round game in their uh, existence. The Ravens, they last won in 2012 against the Patriots. Um, that was when they went to the Super Bowl. So it's been it's been a, it's been over ten years since the Ravens team won a divisional round game. Uh, Lamar, you know, has historically not been good. He's one in four in the playoffs. Last time he won was in the 2021 Wild Card, where they beat the Titans, and then they would then lose the next round with a chance to go to the conference championship. So Lamar is a lot riding on this. He's most likely going to win MVP this season. You know, it's been the season of Lamar, and this past season has also proved that. A Super Bowl aside, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame for how good he's been, but a Super Bowl would really help that, or even making a conference championship would really help Lamar's case, and, um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's very interesting how Lamar will do. 
the uh, the Ravens, you know, they, they they had a good ending to their season. Of course, now I will point this out. Their starters have not played for two weeks. They rested everyone in that final game against the Steelers. But the last time they did have their starters, December 31st, they blew out the Dolphins. The week before, blew out the 49ers. The week before, blew out the Jaguars. The week before, close game against the Rams. November 26th, beat the Chargers. Before that, beat the Bengals. So the Ravens starters are actually currently on a little 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6-game winning streak. But I don't know how to uh, how to go about this. You know, the Lamar curse is real. The Lamar everything. Um, I'll be very fascinated to see how they do. I don't think the Texans and Ravens played this year. Um, let me double check. They did actually. Wow, they were week one. Week one, the Ravens played the Texans and won twenty five to nine. That's very fast. So, wow, that is crazy. How about that? C.J. Stroud threw for two hundred forty two yards. Uh, they didn't score a touchdown, though. What? What's their face? Uh, Kai Fairbairn kicked all the extra points. Uh, Lamar Jackson didn't even score a passing touchdown. Uh, J.K. Dobbins ran for one touchdown, and Justice Hill ran for two touchdowns. How about that? Now, the start of week one for this season is far in the past. There, You can't even compare it. Compare it to now. Um, as for the uh, Texans, by the way, uh, C.J. Stroud, very interesting. Um, only two rookies have ever won more than one playoff game. Those are Mark Sanchez and Joe Flacco. So C.J. Stroud could make history by uh, joining, by joining them. As for uh, winning one playoff game, there have been six QBs. Um, these other two, Ben Roethlisberger, and three older ones that I just figured weren't mentioning, just because of how old they were. I think they were. Ones might have been twins. I have no idea. But um, last time the uh, we had a rookie was Joe Flacco, and recently Joe Flacco lost in the wild card to C.J. Stroud. So maybe it's a sign C.J. Stroud could become the third QB to ever make the uh, conference champion or no, not even win, make the conference championship. No rookies ever made the conference championship before. Um, I don't think that's true. Actually, I think I think the stat I was thinking of was that they've only won one playoff game. So there have been a couple rookies that have made the conference championship, but I don't think anyone's ever won. A rookie has never led a team to a Super Bowl, nonetheless, to win a Super Bowl. So will C.J. Stroud be that team? I, unfortunately, am going to say no. I'm going to pick the Ravens, and I'm putting hope in Lamar. I'm putting hope that this resting period for the Ravens has paid off and this Texans little high they're on is just not going to last. Texans also have the uh, 0-4 in the divisional round. You know, the, you know, there's a lot of stats pointing against, a lot of historical stats pointing against the Texans. Lamar really has to break the curse, and I think the Ravens can get it done. And I was too courteous in the wild card. My mom ran away. She got five of six picks correct, predicted the closest on three scores. Um, I was picking too low. I was picking too low. I also went three on three. So, I mean, I only had three games where my score qualified. But um, I'm going 42 to 20. I think Ravens drop a seven-touchdown game. They ball out. Lamar gets five touchdowns. C.J. Stroud manages to get some garbage time touchdowns. I think this is a Ravens masterclass. I really believe this is a Ravens masterclass, okay? And that's just how I feel. I think Zay Flowers will have a great debut in the playoffs. Odell Beckham's been here. He knows what it's like. I'm sure he can bring that mentality to Lamar and this Ravens defense, all right? When, when we look at the Cowboys, Cowboys had shaky games. The Cowboys had instances where, they, you know, they gave up a lot of points. The Ravens really didn't. You know, the Ravens' starting defense held the Dolphins to 19. 49ers to 19, Jaguars to 7. Sure, that Rams game on December 10th, which went to OT, that was a close game. That was a very close game, and they lost to the Browns. 
on uh, November 12th. But the Ravens the held the Bengals to 20. A healthy Bengals team blew out the Seahawks 37 to 3. I mean, they beat the Lions 38 to 6. I mean, actually actually when they played the Browns when they played the Browns twice, the first time they played them, they beat them 28 to 3. So it's Ravens defense super capable. Give me the Ravens. I'm riding with them Lamar. Don't let me down Lamar. Don't let me down. Putting some hope in you Lamar Jackson. I'm hoping you do well. As for CJ, you know, even if CJ, even if the Texans win, I'm gonna be happy because CJ Stroud is a likable guy. But that's for next season. This season, I have to pick the number one team, Ravens, in the league. Actually, the best league record. Second game in the NFL divisional round for the 23 to 24 season. Could I be like a um? And then uh, was it a ominous, an ominous announcer dropping stuff like that? The second game going down at 7:15, the night game for Saturday, January 20th. The Packers will be visiting the 49ers. We're doing both our number one uh, seeded games on uh, Saturday. How about that? Just knocking them out the way. And you know the thing about the 49ers and the Packers is they're similar to the Packers and Cowboys, where there is history. There's history with these two teams. Um, the 49ers uh, and the Packers have played each other nine times. This will be their 10th meeting. And the 49ers haven't lost a playoff game to the Packers since 2001. Since 2001, they have not lost. It's actually pretty crazy. They actually played each other last year in the divisional round. And the 49ers won 13-10 in Lambeau Field with Aaron Rodgers behind the helm. And, you know, 5-4 and four all time for the 49ers. They've won the last, I think it's four meetings, if I'm being correct. It's either four or five. I think it's four meetings that they've won. And I think the defense is better than the Packers. I think, if anything, the Packers just have to capitalize on luck, this high streak they're on. Uh, 49ers, you know, they were in the divisional round last year. and They were in the conference champions. Actually, I don't, I don't think, I think they lost to the Eagles, actually, last year in the divisional round. Or no, they the conference championship. So 49ers were actually in the conference championship last round. My 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 scripts all over the place. Packers were last in in twenty twenty against the Bucks in the um, conference championship. So both these teams have beaten made it past the divisional round a number of times. 49ers, I think, have the last two or three years. I don't know, but. 49ers team is good. Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's legit. All right. People aren't saying he's legit, but he's kind of similar to Lamar Jackson in the playoffs where there's stuff to prove. There's stuff to prove. Um, Brock Purdy could not lead the team last year to the Super Bowl. Eagles handled them accordingly. And as for Jordan Love, I mean, I, no one was really expecting this out of him. So he has little to lose. If anything, he has all the glory to gain. You know me, I'm a Packers hater. I absolutely hate the Packers, and I'm giving the 49ers a blowout win, 35-16. to 16. I think the Packers get one touchdown. I think um, Anders Carlson kicks, like, what, three field goals, according to what I'm saying. And I think this 49ers D just comes up big. The offense comes up big. Debo goes off. McCaffrey goes off. Kittle goes off. Really hoping that George Kittle goes off. And we see the 49ers send the Packers uh, packing. Oh, how about that? The 49ers are going to send the Packers packing. Tyler, if you're listening to this, I meet it. I, I'm, you know what? I was, I was shocked watching the Packers beat the Cowboys. But if they beat the 49ers, I, I just don't know what i do. And there's a scenario. The Packers and Lions play to go to the Super Bowl. Absolutely crazy. What world do we live in? 49ers, 35-16. to 16. Give me it. 
Moving into Sunday, we have an odd game time for the Buccaneers and Lions game at 2 o'clock. Very interesting. 2 o'clock Central time, that is. The Buccaneers will visit the Lions, and the Lions actually beat the Bucs 20-6 October 15th in Tampa Bay. So this is a, a little bit of a rematch, if you will, for the season. Bucks and Lions have played each other numerous amount of times over the years. Um, as for winning divisional round games, the Lions last won a divisional round game in 1991 when they went to the conference championship against the Redskins. They did not go to the Super Bowl that year, but that was the last time they won a divisional round game. As for the Buccaneers, they of course beat the Packers in 2020 when Tom Brady decided to have his historic, historic year. That's when he won the Super Bowl. That's the last Super Bowl Tom Brady ever won. How about that? Kind of, kind of emotional. Um, as of now, I mean, it's a healthy, it's a healthy Lions team. Buccaneers team looks genuinely healthy. And the, I mean, just when we talk about momentum, the Buccaneers are coming in with incredible momentum. Managed to win the division in the final week, blow out the Eagles in the wild card round. Now, as for the Lions, I mean, a close game, a 24 to 23 win over the Rams. It was close. Now, the benefit, though, Lions are at home. They've historically done better at home this year. A couple losses here and there to the Bears and Packers, but other than that, not too bad for the Lions. Buccaneers, you know, Baker. Kind of having himself a year. It'd be crazy if Baker could lead the Bucks to a Super Bowl. Browns fans would probably cry. Browns fans would be in absolute shock. But I'm going to be honest. I think this is the Lions' year. I think that the Lions just have something about this team. You know, they're risky. Dan Campbell is a risky coach. He likes to take risks. Aiden Hutchinson, an amazing, amazing leader of on this defense. Jared Goff, a lot of haters. And, you know, he beat his former Rams team. The talk was Stafford against the Lions. What about Goff versus the Rams? The Rams gave up on Jared Goff. They said, you know what, we want Matthew Stafford. And now it paid off. It paid off. But what's that to say for Jared Goff, okay? This is his chance to lead the team. Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs is slowly, I mean, out of the playoffs, of the teams currently left, it is probably the best dual backfield that we got. Is, is definitely the best dual backfield that we got. I mean, looking at the Bills, I mean, Latavius Murray and James Cook, it's decent, but James Cook's got to lead. Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, it's more Pacheco. Bucks, I mean, Rashad White and whoever, whoever else they hand the ball off to, Chase Edmonds. Um, so really, this backfield is amazing. Um, the wide receiver core is excellent, excellent. Monroe St. Brown, Finished the year as a top 10 wide receiver. He's only looking to get better. An amazing connection with uh, Jared Goff. And as for the other ones, Jamison Williams, Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds, they all catch the ball very well. Buccaneers, the one thing I will say is that they, they caught a they caught a Eagles team that was falling off. All right, their plane was going down, and the Buccaneers just kind of helped sink it deep into the ocean. But um, I just don't think that momentum's going to carry over. I am noticing that I am picking the first three home teams to win. Statistically, home teams do do better than playoffs. Give me the Lions, 27-21. to 21. I do think this will be a close game, probably the closest of all the other, um, all the games in the divisional round. But, um, man, I just, now they already won this year. The Lions already beat the Bucks, 20-6. to 6. They were in Tampa, so now they come home. I will say the Eagles did beat the Bucks, and look what happened to them. I think home field advantage will be the key here. Give me the Lions 27-21 to 21 to break the curse and make the conference championship for the first time in 30 years. It's a team of destiny. All right, our final game in the divisional round. The Chiefs visit the Bills this time. Chiefs are not at home. All right, the Chiefs don't have the two seed. They have the three. Bills have the two. Um, last time these teams made the conference championship, Chiefs 
was last year against the Bang. Actually, last year against the Bengals, they beat the Bengals, didn't they? Did the Chiefs? Were the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year? Yeah, they oh, they won last year. Oh my gosh, my my memory's completely jogging me. Chiefs beat the Eagles last year. So Chiefs, familiar territory, you know, they're on the road. They like a little pressure. As for the Bills, last time they were in a conference championship when they made it past the divisional round was in 2020 when they lost to the Chiefs. So, I mean, it was, um, it's been a pretty crazy, crazy series with these two. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have a little feud going on, little little Brady Manning, if you will. I don't really even know who to compare it to, honestly. But, hell, what do you know? Chiefs and Bills, it's fun. Uh, Bills um, defeated the Chiefs 20-17 to this season, December 10th at Arrowhead. That was a competitive game. So, Bills already won in Kansas City. Maybe the Chiefs win at the Bills Stadium this year. I don't know. But the last time they played in the divisional round was in 2021 when we witnessed one of the greatest games you'll ever see. One of the greatest endings to a game you'll ever see. Of course, that was the back and forth in the final five minutes, which saw what? I think it was like four touchdowns scored. The 13-second game-winning drive from the um, Chiefs against the Bills. Then when it went to overtime, the 42-36, I mean, an absolutely amazing, amazing game. One of the greatest playoff games you'll ever see. Bills are here for retribution, and I won't lie. that Steelers. The Steelers' defense was the only good thing about that Steelers game. Um, last weekend in the wild card, I thought there'd be more running in that game. There wasn't. That was pretty odd. But um, you know, the the offense for the Steelers was not an issue. Bills defense handled them accordingly. Did give up, give, did give up some touchdowns, but nothing too bad. As for the Chiefs, you know, they they manhandled the Dolphins. You know, they manhandled the Dolphins in that game. Uh, Dolphins had no answer for them. Twenty six to seven. Patrick Mahomes looking great, but I just I feel Patrick Mahomes owns owns Josh Allen. In the playoffs, and Bills, they are riding a little six-game win streak. All right, the six-game win streak. Chiefs, not really riding, not really riding any win streak. They're on a little three-game win streak, if you will. But for so far this season, Chiefs six and two on the road. Okay, Bills eight and two at home. Okay, so this is setting up to work out beautifully. Game of the game of the week will probably be Chiefs and Bills. Even though I said that the Lions and Buccaneers will be the closest score. I think the Chiefs are going to beat the Bills 38 to 29. And what do I think this how do I think this is going to happen? I think it's going to be 31 to 29. Final final like 4 minutes, 3 minutes of the game and on the game winning drive I'm feeling a third down, maybe even a second down. Josh Allen throws a pass, gets picked off by a Chiefs cornerback and he returns it for a pick 6 and the final score will be 38 to 29. Give me the Chiefs. I mean, that'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. I'm setting up a Ravens-Chiefs and a Lions-49ers conference championship games. You know, Bills, they, they they haven't made the conference championship since 2020. You know, in 2021 they lost. Last year, I don't even, what even happened last year? I Honestly, the playoffs last year kind of jogged my memory. 2022 to 23 NFL playoffs. I'm trying to remember what happened because honestly, honestly, it feels like, it feels like forever ago that we witnessed that. Actually, it was a year ago. So, uh, number one seed was the Chiefs. Number two seed was the Bills. How about that? Can I just see a bracket? I'm on Wikipedia. There we go. Um, Chiefs played the. What happened to the Bills? Bills lost. Uh, Bills won in the wild card, and then they got blown out 27 to 10 by Joe Shiesty. Wow. How about that? So back to back year appearances for the 
49ers, only per team in the NFC, making an appearance. And Chiefs and Bills, only teams making a reappearance from last season. Feels like a while ago. But yes, to recap the picks, to go over what we what we think is gonna happen. Ravens manhandle Texans, forty-two to twenty. I'm I'm giving I'm giving at least one defensive touchdown, a fumble return, a pick six, maybe even special teams return, something. Packers and 49ers, same scenario. I think 49ers give it to the Packers. I do think it's close early. I'm thinking Packers might even score first, might even be 10-0 first, but second half hits, give give me the 49ers really finding their groove. Buccaneers and Lions, 27-21. I'm thinking this is going to be close. I'm thinking that, you know, it's kind of back and forth. Lions score maybe early fourth, late third, and just hold off the Bucs to round out the game. Final game, Bills, Chiefs. Like I said, I think it's going to be close up until the final drive. We see a Chiefs turnover, and we kind of just see like the look on all the Bills' faces that this is it. This is it. But we have eight teams. Let, let me just say, of all the teams, I mean, Texans have nothing to lose. Packers have nothing to lose. Buccaneers have nothing to lose. Chiefs honestly don't have much to lose. But you have the Ravens. Lamar Jackson has a lot to prove. 49ers. Brock Purdy has a lot to prove. Lions, I mean, the Lions don't really have much to lose, but I just feel like this is their one season. I compare it to the Vikings 2018 run where we lost to the Eagles in the conference championship. That was our year, and it just came apart at the end. I hope the same doesn't happen to the Lions. Now as for the Bills, Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. This feels like the last ride almost. I mean, they've come so close before. This is the divisional round. They can almost taste it. And I like their odds if they win against the Ravens. If I'm being honest, if the Bills can beat the Chiefs, I really like their odds against the Ravens. So give me the Chiefs, though, 38-29. to 29. I already said it. I think that'll happen. But Josh Allen and the Bills have a lot to prove. Very much so. Very much so. So that's all I got. That's all I got for the divisional round. I mean, who, who knows what? Who knows what is going to go down this uh, this weekend? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I mean, are you kidding me? Divisional football, a pay-per-view. I hope the weather's a bit nicer. Gonna actually, I should probably do all my uh, homework Friday night, so then Saturday I can play. That that's probably what I should do. It's probably what I should go over. But who knows what I'll actually do this weekend. So moving on from that, I mean, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. It's kind of sprung out of nowhere. My buddy Tyler texted a little group chat. I'm in. He was like, hey guys, why don't we all rank our top 10 female uh, artists on uh, just share our list? And I'm like, I'm going to do this for the podcast. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, after making my list, it turns out he meant songs. He meant top 10 female songs. So I did not follow that. I listed my top 10 female artists and I put a lot of thought into this. I put a lot of thought into this, if I'm being honest. If I'm being honest, I put in the effort. I went through and looked. Okay, I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with my list. And honestly, it is not what I expected out of myself. I actually looked at what songs I listen to the most, which songs I know, the voice of the singer, how popular they were. I mean, I, I put a lot of work into this. So with, with, without a do, without a do, here are my top 10 female artists, singers, if you want to call them, of all time. By the way, this is a personal list. This is a personal list. Let me make that disclaimer. That Let me make that disclaimer. All right. All right. Because I know some people are going to be like, hey, that person's obviously not even top 10. Uh, okay. You know what? Shut up. All right. Let's get into it. Starting off with number 10. By the way, no honorable mentions. No honorable mentions. I just have 10 women. Actually, we have two groups. And our first, our first do I have two groups? I think I have two groups. I do have two groups on my list. Okay. 
Starting off at number 10, it's a female group of artists. They sang in the 90s, early 2000s. Give me Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child, Beyonce, The Queen, Kelly Rowland, Michelle Williams. Absolutely amazing stuff. I love Destiny Child. Uh, some of my favorite songs, Say My Name. I mean, Say My Name, Say My Name, Say My Name. Such a such amazing song. Survivor. I mean, I first, I first heard Survivor as a cover in the uh, third Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, Shipwrecked. Chipwrecked. Um, and I listened to the real one that was sang by Destiny's Child. It was absolutely amazing. Their song, Bills, Bills, Bills. Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? I actually heard that on Glee as a cover by actually like the gay singers. And I was like, oh my gosh, who sang this Destiny's Child? Equally as good. And of course, the first Destiny's Child song I ever heard straight up was Bootylicious. I mean, who doesn't love Bootylicious? I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I mean, how about Clay Matthews singing that in Pitch Perfect 2? So hilarious. Love, love, love. Love Destiny's Child. And it's only one of the two bands. Or two bands, if you want to call it. I guess, is Destiny's Child a band? I think there's, it's like a group. You know, there's a group and a band. There's no one really playing instruments. It's all singers. And they're all amazing. It's crazy to see how Beyonce started off here and took her career to the heights. I mean, she's easily, I'd be, what, top five female singers of all time? She is, she's not on my, my list, okay? I went with Destiny's Child because I'm not out here listening to a lot of Beyonce songs. But if you catch me, get my groove on, maybe you'll hear a little Destiny's Child. So that's number 10 on my list. Checking in at number nine on Zachary Ruger's top 10 female singers of all time, we have J-Lo Jennifer Lopez. That's right. I don't know her nickname. Jenny from the Block. I mean, that's one of her favorite songs. One of my personal favorite songs. Um, Jennifer Lopez. Love her. Good actress. Good singer. Um, who's she with now? Ben Affleck. I mean, she she makes the rounds with all the famous Hollywood actors. I mean, honestly. I mean, I guess she was dating A-Rod, famous baseball player, but... Who knows, man? They're uh, they're a lot of fun. Um, let's get loud on the proper one. Let's get loud. Let's get loud. Um, what else did you got? On the floor with Pitbull. That's another amazing song. And her Super Bowl performance. Her Super Bowl. Um, what was it? Uh, with uh, Shakira. I don't know what number that was. I remember I was watching it at my uh, buddy Matthew's house. Me, me, him, and his brother were in their basement watching that Super Bowl. Was it the 49ers? When the forty? I think it was the 49ers one. When they lost to the Chiefs that one year, if I'm thinking correctly. But yes, that was an amazing Super Bowl performance. I rock with Jennifer Lopez. Very, very good singer. And, you know, I know she's known for being an actress and a singer. I don't know what I prefer more. I honestly don't know, J-Lo. But you do yo thing, girl. Hell yeah. Girl power, I guess. Guy sounds fruity. Moving on to number eight on our list. We have a former winner of American Idol. If I'm thinking correctly, that's right. Give me Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson, I mean, just a treasure. I mean, think about her cover of, um, not her cover, but when the, uh, what was it, on P the original Pitch Perfect, when they sang the cover of, what, what was her song they sang? Uh, Since You've Been Gone. I mean, that's just such an iconic um, song that they've been singing. Since You've Been Gone. And her version is just so amazing of it. Um, she also has one of my favorite top three, I'm pretty sure, Christmas songs of all time, Underneath the Tree. You're all I need. Underneath the Tree. Yeah, Kelly Clarkson, You Got Me Sold. You're amazing. Stronger. And what doesn't kill you makes it stronger. And a hidden gem, I think, is Because of You. I mean, the vocals. Because of you. I mean, I can't even go too deep into it. I'll probably, I can't get that high a pitch that she can do. Absolutely amazing. Love it, Kelly Clarkson. You landed number eight on my list. 
Um, didn't she kind of get bigger? I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just kind of being observant of what the what the Hollywood community has said. But um, I don't know. Did she? Did she? I know that was something they were saying. Like, why? I think I saw an article like why Kelly Clarkson got so big, and I was like, damn, you cannot be saying that about a woman Hollywood insider. Alrighty, let's move in to number seven on the list. We have one of the icons of the singing game. We have Dolly Parton. I mean, come on, Dolly Parton, an icon. She's been around for so, so long. Gosh, she's what, in her 70s now, 80s? I mean, and she performed at the halftime of the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. It was absolutely incredible. And she, she was still wearing like a Cowboys cheerleader outfit. I mean, staying slim in her old age, good for you. Definitely done plastic surgery. I'm sorry, Dolly. I noticed it. I noticed it. Um favorite song of her island in the stream i mean i remember my grandpa and my mom were singing that in the car one time it was such such a good father father daughter moment but islands in the stream with a was it kenny rogers she sang it with i can't really call but islands in the stream that is what we are i mean honestly i could be a singer i, I think i could like, you think i could be a singer someone someone give me a comment uh, later on hit up the dms if i could be a singer um jolene the jolene oh my gosh i saw uh, I think it's on YouTube, her live performance of Jolene, and you can hear the passion in her voice. If no one knows, Jolene is kind of about another, a prettier girl than her, and she, her man might have an eye for her, and she might take her man. I mean, it is a powerful song. And also 9 to 5, just an iconic song working 9 to 5. And that's that's a working man song right there. Any blue-collar boy that says you tells you they don't rock with 9 to 5, then they are lying. Because that that's a working man song, working 9 to 5. Dolly Parton, you landed number seven on my list. Congratulations. Of all the human beings on the earth, Dolly Parton, you've made it into my top seven female singers of all time. Moving into number six, my second and final group of uh, female singers for my list. I, and it's a band. This one is a band. I will say that. But the, the females are at the lead of it. You never hear male vocals in their songs. Unless it's a feature, we have Heart. That is right. An iconic band of the 70s, the 80s. I mean, I absolutely love Heart. And they kind of had a resurgence with their song, Cra resurgence with their song Crazy on You, which I heard for the first time in the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And I now know all the words to it. I listened to it so much at work. I mean, even at the gym, I was turning it on before hitting a PR. I was like, let's get it. Um, Ann Wilson and uh, Nancy Wilson, I think they're, I don't know if they're sisters or if they're lovers. I don't know who, who they are. But Ann Wilson, the lead vocalist, and Nancy Wilson also doing vocals but also playing the guitar. Absolutely amazing. Some of their other good songs. You have Barracuda. I mean, who doesn't love Barracuda? And they were stingy about the rights for Barracuda, um, by the way, about who can use Barracuda. I remember in Shrek 3, great use of Barracuda. Um, another good one um, is Alone. Um, I don't really know the words to that, but when I listened to it, because I was listening for songs to put, I recognized it. So that's in there. And also Magic Man. I know and she's a magic man or he's a magic man. Yeah, yeah. Good song by heart. Very much like it. We got to give some respect to the oldies, the 70s and 80s, the old days of music. Wow, 70s and 80s. Is it going to trip people out? Was 50 and 40 years ago. That's pretty wild. That is pretty wild, if you ask me. But heart, you land at number six. Honestly, I might go listen to Crazy on You after that. After this. I love that song. All right, we're getting to our top five female singers of all time. Of all time, our top five, top ten female singers. But now we're on to the top five. And landing at number five, my number five female singer of all time, we have the iconic, the amazing Whitney Houston. Rest in peace to Whitney Houston. I believe she passed away. Didn't Whitney Houston 
pass away. I mean, we all know Whitney Houston fell into drugs. I mean, yes, she died February 2012. Nicknamed The Voice. Oh, my gosh. So sad. Bobby Brown ruined her. Bobby Brown ruined her. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely terrible. Oh, man. Whitney Houston, so beautiful before the drugs hit her. And she is just so iconic. She did. My grandpa showed me this. He said it's the best national anthem he's ever heard. It was at Super Bowl 25 in 1991, I believe. And I completely agree. She gave the best national anthem ever. Just she hit the high note. She had perfect timing. It was amazing. Sounded American. Sounded patriotic. Oh, man. Whitney Houston. I wish I could have been alive to see you. And I guess now that I've said that, I was alive for 10 years um, when she was alive before she passed away. Whitney Houston. I mean, so many good songs. I want to dance with somebody. I mean, I want to dance with somebody. I mean, you hear that in a lot of 80s songs. I mean, 80s movies. Um, Higher Love, a newer song. I believe, like, what's their name? Kygo, who's like a DJ or whatever, like remixed her voice or whatever to, to like use it. Sounds good. I will always love you. I mean, that's iconic song. I mean, what what young teenage boy is not singing that to his girlfriend? And I, I will always love you. And yeah, all right, that's what's gonna happen in the movies. I don't know about real life, but who knows? And how will I know? I also listened to when I was compiling this list, and that was a good song. How will I know? I encourage everyone to go listen to that. I can't recall how it went though. I, I'm honestly, I'm honestly a little confused at how I don't know how that song goes but uh we'll have to keep listening to that but how will i know another good song by whitney the voice houston how about that maybe that's why they called the voice the voice as they were thinking of whitney houston i don't know well whitney girl you're number five on my list and coming in at number four we're we're past number five we're getting number four you all know her give me Adele, that is right, Adele, I mean, an icon of my generation, I mean, so many hits, so many hits, some of my personal favorites, set Fire to the Rain, I mean, that, that that song is now used for Jim Hardstyles, you know, like a little techno, they remix that song, very, very popular, um, what else, what, what other good songs did Adele do? she's got Hello, I mean, Hello took over, so many parodies of that, Everyone was singing that. I mean, hello, it's me you're looking for. I mean, Adele with hello. That song took over. Rolling in the deep. I mean, there's a fire starting. That is an amazing song. Skyfall. I mean, Skyfall is such a powerful song. You just, you close your eyes in a dark room. You turn that on and it takes you away to another world. It takes you to James Bond on that island. Spoiler alert in the final James Bond movie. When the bombs are coming in and he realizes it's over and he falls to his knees. Let the sky fall. It's like your final stand. And another good song by Adele is Rumor Has It. I mean, who doesn't love it? Do, do rumor has it. I'm just, I'm just saying Adele's got the bangers. And another interesting point. People point out that she got super skinny. I mean, she used to be a bit larger, you know? I mean, she wasn't ugly when she was larger. I'm just saying, but she got skinny, and she kind of ran away with that. I mean, I saw that not too long ago. She was in like being criticized for putting on dreads when she was in Jamaica with her black boyfriend, by the way. They're mad she was wearing dreads. I mean, come on, people. You have worse things to be mad about, like gas prices. How about that? Not to get political, but Adele, you are one of the best. One of the best. The number four, according to me. And this is just compared to what songs I listen to the most and enjoy. And I'm very particular with some of the music I enjoy. Alrighty, into the top three we go. And honestly, 
I'm surprised this lady ended up at number three for me. It wasn't until I analyzed how many songs of hers I actually rock with that I was like, oh my gosh, she has to be on the top ten. She's in the top five, and she lands at number three. Give me Katy Perry. Katy Perry, I mean, Teenage Dream came out. I mean, honestly, she was my teenage dream. Actually, not when I was a teenager, more when I was like in sixth grade, which looking at now, I was like 11. So that is kind of weird in hindsight. But to me, she was such an amazing, such amazing person. I mean, you heard her songs all over the radio. You heard them in movies. I mean, I remember um, Hot and Cold from the second Chipmunks movie. I mean, I remember so many songs from the Chipmunks movie. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, wow, just wow. You are amazing, Katy Perry. She kind of got weird for a while, like shaved her head and stuff and was kind of getting weird on American Idol as a host. Um, but you know what? She's gotten past that because she has so many bangers. I mean, where do I even begin? Where do I miss so many favorites? Um, Dark Horse, I mean, uh, just amazing. Roar, you're gonna hear me roar. Actually, funny song about Roar. This is actually super funny. Is in seventh grade, way back in seventh grade, I had this shop class, which um, half half the time, it wasn't really a shop class because we didn't like do too much shopping. Shop class it was more like we planned out. It was like doing blueprints and stuff. It was super weird. And we had a sub one day and the sub turned on the Roar video for Katy Perry. If anyone knows the Roar video from Katy Perry, you know, she's in, she's in some slim jungle shorts. I mean, if anyone knows the Big Buck Hunter girls, you know, that you see on the video game, she was wearing stuff like that, you know, and he was staring directly at the screen. And me and all my buddies were looking at this like, this is so weird. What is going on? And not only did he do it for that hour that I was in class, he did it for the hour before that I found out when he had a couple of my other friends in there. Super, super weird. It's, it's weird how songs have memories of that. Teenage Dream, absolutely love that. I Kissed a Girl. I mean, how about a song about being a lesbian is such a banger. I mean, hey, you know what? Good good for them. Good for them. I Kissed a Girl, but I don't think she's actually a lesbian. She might be a bit bi, though. I don't know. Hot and Cold, as we mentioned. You're hot and you're cold. I remember the music video for that. It was like Katy Perry being left at the altar. Very weird. Um, California girls. I mean, California girls. I mean, who was what young little elementary middle school boy wasn't watching that music video of her and Snoop Dogg, and she's covered in cotton candy. I mean, now looking at it, it's it's not as attractive as it was when I was little. But you know what, Katie, it showed you still got. I mean, firework. I mean, who who's not listening to firework? Oh my gosh, such amazing song. How about that from uh, the interview when Kim Jong-un and James Franco are singing that? That's hilarious. Last Friday night, TGIF, that's iconic. I mean, who wasn't singing that? Last Friday night. I mean, you could sing that any Friday, and it just, it hits. Um, Never Really Over is a hidden gem. Uh, E.T. with Kanye. I mean, who does? Oh my, E.T. is such a good song. Birthday, another banger that kind of falls out low-key. And this is how we do it. Another low-key Katy Perry song that is not so mainstream. I mean, people heard it. People know it. But man, Katy Perry, so many bangers. And she lands at number three on my list. And now we get into the top two. And there's so many. It could be anyone. But who lands at number two? Who will it be? And honestly... I didn't know. I mean, when I was thinking of amazing singers, I immediately went to the actual top 10 list of who the actual top 10, like, singers are of all time. And honestly, I, I felt that, you know, she was high up on the list, and she ended up being high on my list. Give me the iconic, the queen, the great Aretha Franklin. That's like such a throwback. I know some people are expecting, oh, Olivia Rodrigo, Ice Spice, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion. Heck no. Give me Aretha Franklin. She, you know, for any young black, any young black woman, don't, you know, because I saw that video of the girls, the little black girls who were rapping um, 
was it sexy red or whatever and they were like twerking and stuff and like getting down and stuff they're singing terrible lyrics about stuff do not look up to women like that no cardi b with wab making the stallion showing her ass all the time don't 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 mesmerize that don't don't idolize that look at aretha franklin a true woman of respect for any race for any generation aretha franklin she is ageless i mean wh what songs do we go to her most her most um Famous, I will say, is probably respect. All I'm asking is for a little respect, just a little bit, you know. You also got Think by Her, that's an amazing song. Chain of Fools, oh my gosh. Bridge Over Troubled Water, you feel the vocals in that. Son of a Preacher Man, I remember that from the Mafia 3 video game. I'll be cruising around with my character and that comes on the radio. You know what, I kind of close my door, turn up the TV, and just start jamming to it. You can't help it. You Make Me Feel, um, that's an amazing song. You make me feel like a natural woman. Amazing. A Change is Gonna Come. Been so many renditions of that song. She did amazing. Call Me, Get It Right. I mean, the songs just go on forever for Aretha Franklin. And uh, rest in peace to her. Rest in peace to Aretha Franklin. I believe she passed away. I hate to say no. Aretha Franklin had to have passed away, right? There's no way. She passed away... Um, the first thing we type Aretha Franklin into Bing, by the way, my Microsoft, um, my Microsoft computer goes to Bing right away. Um, she died 2018 at 76. Wow. She made it to, wow, 76. She lived in 2018. How about that? Aretha Franklin saw LeBron James come back down three games to one against the, against the Golden State Warriors. How about that? Fun fact. I mean, Aretha Franklin, what else did Aretha Franklin see? Aretha Franklin experienced the Vietnam War, and Aretha Franklin also um, got to see Justin Timberlake leave NSYNC and start his own music career. I don't know. I'm just thinking of funny things to compare to, but Aretha Franklin, you're my number two woman of all time, which means what? Zach, there's still one more left. Who is my number one singer of all time? And this is pretty crazy. This is pretty crazy. I mean, I went through what I looked. I looked at all my playlists, all my songs. What what woman am I singing the most songs to? What word what words do I know the most songs to? And Katy Perry has a lot. I know a lot of Katy Perry, but this country singer, she just does something to me. And I thought it was originally Miranda Lambert, and then I looked up Miranda Lambert, and I'm like, wait, I actually hate Miranda Lambert. She broke Blake Shelton's heart, but now he's happy with Gwen Stefani. But my number one female singer of all time is Carrie Underwood. I mean, come on. Every single boy was checking out Carrie Underwood, beautiful blonde girl. And actually, she married a former NHL player who was absolutely amazing at hockey. Absolutely love it. She is just amazing. I mean, the best Sunday Night Football theme song. Every event and every issue, every edition she does of the Sunday Night Football theme song is absolutely amazing. I've been waiting all day for Sunday night. I mean, who doesn't love that? Who does not love that? I mean, before he cheats, I dug my key. I mean, everyone loves that song. Something bad, kind of undercover. Cowboy Casanova, personal favorite, my personal favorite. Um, good girl, that's another good one. Church bells, undo it, uh, 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 undo it. I mean, Carrie Underwood has all the bangers. And guess what? She be singing a lot of Jesus music now. Jesus take the wheel. I mean, she's all about that Christian girl lifestyle. She's she's legit. She's legit. Good mother, good singer, and the number one female artist of all time, according to me, Zachary Ruger. How about that? How about that, Carrie Underwood? You land at number one for me, and that does it. Those are my top ten female artists of all time. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but um, let me know. Let me know who your guys's uh are. Because, let me be honest, there's a lot. There's a lot of female singers, and you have to decide which one is your favorite. But I'll tell you, 
what is my favorite thing besides female singers? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. I like Jesus. I like pizza. I like uh, driving around in GTA late at night listening to music. I like um, playing basketball with my friends. But there's something other than that. Oh, yeah. My family, my girlfriend, my dogs. Okay, all that. But guess what? There's something better than all of that. Maybe like, Zach, what is what, what could possibly be better than all that? And that is UFC 297 this upcoming weekend. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. I'm a troll. I'm a troll. I love my UFC. I'm a UFC freak, you know, but I can't help it. I can't help it. I love UFC. I remember that fateful day when I was playing um, EA Sports UFC 3 in my basement in September of 2019. It was a Saturday, and I... I saw that there was an ad that, oh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is fighting Dustin Poirier this Saturday. I don't know who this Dustin Poirier guy is, but isn't Khabib that guy that beat McGregor? I go upstairs and I'm like, guys, we should go to, we should go to, uh, went to my parents. And I was like, we should go watch this at Buffalo Wild Wings. And they're like, sure, we got nothing else to do. It's middle of the afternoon. We go there. And I was hooked ever since. Actually, there was that little October and November, um, a little skeptical. And then Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, their first meeting in December, UFC 245, hooked me in. I watched the entire main card with my mom at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. And since then, since 2020 in January, I've watched every single UFC event and talked about it. I used to talk about it to myself, but now I have friends. I have an online podcast. How about that? Lots of fun. But we have an absolute banger card this weekend. I mean, we're in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. For goodness sakes, we get to go um, to our hat, my hat. Actually, it's Minnesota's hat as much as it is the United States of America's hat. Okay, Canada, obviously torn on how I feel about them Canadians. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about you Canadians, but we'll see. We shall see. I'm just joking. I love all my fans. I love the. I want to go to Canada. I've heard they got some beautiful scenery. Got some beautiful scenery up there. But we're not here to talk about Canada or the scenery. We're here to predict and go over the 12 fights on the card. Five main cards, fights seven. Seven on the prelims. Let's not waste any time as we got a lot to go over. Kicking off, kicking off our card. Obviously, you got prelims. You got so many prelims. We got Malcolm X Gordon taking on Jimmy the Brick Flick. I I love the names. Malcolm X, Jimmy the Brick Flick. I mean, come on. Malcolm Gordon, 14 and 7 professionally. Jimmy Flick, 16 and 7. Both fighters are five foot seven, fighting in the 125-pound division. 71-inch reach for Malcolm, 68-inch reach for Jimmy, giving a 3-inch advantage in reach to Malcolm Gordon. A switch stance for Malcolm X, and an orthodox stance for the Brick Flick. Jimmy Flick, 33 years of age. He's from Oklahoma. Of his 16 wins, 14 are by submission. How about that? But another um, interesting thing is of his seven losses, six of those are by knockout. You know, I, I did find that stat very fascinating. Um, Jimmy Flick debuted in the UFC on Dana White's Contender Series in September of 2020, uh, got an arm triangle over Nate Smith, and then in his debut got a flying triangle choke against Cody Durden in round number one. Super impressive, but following that, and uh, he took 2021 and 2022 off. And in 2023, he came back, and Charles Johnson TKO'd him in round number one. And then in June of last year, Alessandro Costa TKO'd him in round number two. So Jimmy Flick currently on a little two-fight losing streak, been knocked out in both of them. He will look to bounce back, though, against Malcolm X Gordon. Malcolm is also 33. And he's from Ontario. We do have a Canadian boy. We have a Canadian boy 
on the team, uh, repping the card. Uh, he's from Ontario, you know. Um, Ontario's a province. But I don't know exactly what town he's from, you know, like Toronto or what city. But um, of his 14 victories, 5 by knockout, 6 by sub, 11 of 14 finishes, not too shabby. Malcolm Gordon on a two-fight losing streak as well. In October of 2022, he got submitted by Mohamed Mokhaev in round number 3. And in his lone fight, March 18, 2023, he got knocked out in a minute by Jake Hadley. He actually got hit with a body shot in that. Malcolm Gordon debuted in the UFC against Amir Al-Bazi. He got submitted in 2020. I mean, that's a killer. Then got TKO'd by Suma Darji in 44 seconds. Following that, though, picked up a crazy upset win over Francisco Figueredo. That is right, Devison's younger brother. And then had an injury win against Dennis Bonder in February of 2022. Both of these fighters on a two-fight losing streak. And a statistic I just want to point out, which is going to be very interesting, is that there are nine Canadian fighters on this card. Out of the 12 fights, nine feature Canadian. Um, so pretty fascinating stat there. There's only three fights without a Canadian fighter. Um, and since 2019, Canadians have gone 13 and 17 when fighting in Canada. However, at UFC 289 last year in June, Canadians went 5 and 0 on the event. So of the last 30 Canadian fighters to fight in Canada, 13 have won 17 and lost, which I find very fascinating. We have nine on this card. There's just no way all nine win, right? There's just no way, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Malcolm Gordon. I do not see Malcolm Gordon winning this one. I'm going to give it to Jimmy, all right? Um, and when I just look at this, I look at Malcolm Gordon's two wins in the UFC, an injury win and a win over Francisco Figueredo by a close unanimous decision. Um, besides that, he's been finished four other times. I mean, he was hit with a body shot and went down. And as much as Jimmy Flick's last two appearances haven't been too good, I think Jimmy's had some good training, some good stuff, and he will be back to beat Malcolm Gordon. Gotta rep us, uh, United States boys, okay? We can't let the Canadians win every single fight on this card, but we'll be interested to see what goes down. Give me Jimmy Flick, and ooh, I gotta drop a prediction. Don't I? I gotta, I forgot we're going round by round. I mean, last week... Last week, we had some fire, fire picks. I mean, we kicked off 2024. I predicted Joshua Van round one knockout. I predicted Gene Silva round one knockout. I predicted Farid Basharat in decision. I predicted Marcus McGee round two TKO. Um, predicted Walter Cortez Acasio unanimous decision. What else did I predict? I predicted. I predicted a lot of stuff last week. I predicted... Uh, predicted Magomed by knockout, just wrong round. I mean, we're doing pretty good. Eight and three to start off the year. But how will Jimmy Flick win this? You know, I haven't seen Malcolm get submitted in, since it was against Mohamed Mokayev. So, you know what? Give me Jimmy Flick. He likes to get stuff down in round number one. Give me Jimmy Flick round one submission. Cash the bets, boys. Cash the bets. Round one sub. I don't know what. Maybe a triangle choke. Maybe Malcolm Gordon lands a knockdown or a takedown and then gets hit in a triangle choke. Let's do it. Moving into our second fight of the night. Women's bantamweight action as Jasmine Jasu Davish, um, fellow Canadian fighter, moves up in weight to take on Priscilla Casuera. Um, isn't Priscilla Casuera moving up in weight too? Yeah, both of these women moving up from flyweight to try out a bantamweight. Very interesting. Jasmine is nine and three. Priscilla Casuera, the zombie girls, are nicknamed twelve and five. Both women are five seven. Three inch reach advantage for Jasmine Jasu Davicious. I mean, crazy name. Uh, three inch reach advantage for her. Both fighters have an orthodox style. Should be very interesting to see how this one goes. Jasmine, of course, as I mentioned, from Canada. She's from Ontario, so she's in the correct 
province. Uh, 33 year, 34 years old for, wow. Of her nine victories, only two by knockout, one by sub. So likes to do, likes to get some decision wins in there yet to um, have a finish or be finished in the UFC so far. Debuted on uh, season five of Daywood's Contender Series in 2021. Won that. Then won her UFC debut against J.K. Hansen. Then lost in June of 2022 against Natalie Silva. But Natalie Silva's a killer. Um, then grappled away to a victory in February last year against Gabriela Fernandez. Then beat Miranda Maverick in Canada uh, last June, so pretty impressive there. But then lost at a UFC No Chance September against Tracy Cortez. But Tracy Cortez is legit. Okay, let's let's get that point across. Tracy Cortez is eleven and one, five and zero in the UFC. So that's that was her last loss. Not too bad, Jasmine. Not too bad. Plus, last time you fought in Canada, you won. Has she fought in Canada any other times? No. No, 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 no. Because UFC hasn't gone to, has only gone to Canada once since uh, 2019. So, Priscilla Cachoeira, 35 years old, from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Um, of her 12 victories, seven knockouts. Another fun fact, she's never been knocked out. All five of her losses have either been decisions or submissions. She actually trains at MMA Masters with uh, notable people who've trained there, are Ida Topira and Colby Covington. Priscilla is coming off of a round three armbar loss to Miranda Maverick, um, which went down at UFC 291 last July. Before that, though, she had a crazy minute and five-second knockout of Ariana Lipsky. Very notable, uh, fight the night against Jian Kim. And Priscilla's been fed to the dog since she got here. UFC debut, had to fight Valentina Shevchenko. Oh, that was back in 2018. Then lost decisions to Juan McCann and Luiana Pinero, notable UFC fighters, before finally getting it going with a 40-second knockout of Shayna Dobson in 2020. Followed that up with a round two, TKO of Gina Manzani, but then did get submitted in round number one by G- Jillian Robertson. Ooh, we'll talk about Jillian in just a second. Um, but yes, it's, it's certainly interesting. Priscilla's pretty hit or miss. And I mean, just from the get-go, her career's been crazy here in the UFC. I don't really know... What's going to separate these women? Because, you know, Priscilla, not really good at being taken down. Jasmine is all about taking you down. So it's a matter of, will Jasmine get caught? What will happen to Priscilla? But I think the money is on Jasmine Jasu Davish by unanimous decision. So give it to me. Jasmine Jesu Davicius. Um, Canada will start out one and one, according to me. We'll say unanimous. Okay, we'll say unanimous. I'm not feeling a split. I'm feeling a unanimous decision win for Jasmine. Doesn't even have a nickname. She should get a nickname with how she performs. Third fight of the prelims, third fight of the evening. Welterweight matchup between Johan the White Lion Laness and Sam Patterson. Johan Laness, 9-2. Sam Patterson, 10-2. And, and 1. He has one draw. 6 foot 1 to 6 foot 3, 2 inches for Sam Patterson. And 78 78- inch reach to 76 inch reach in favor of Sam Patterson. Both fighters have an orthodox style. And Johan Lanesse, the white lion, or just white lion, there's no the. But um, he's from Quebec. We have another Canadian fighter um, kicking it off. I mean, um, of our prelims, um, on our prelims, of our seven prelim fights, there's seven seven Canadian fighters. There's only two Canadian fighters on the main card. If I'm, uh, yeah, if I'm looking at this right, that's true. Johan, of course, 31 years old, six KOs of his nine victories. The other three are decisions. Debut in the UFC on Daniel's Contender Series, earned himself a round one knockout. But uh, in his UFC debut, actually officially in April 2022, he would get uh, knocked out in round number two by Gabe Green. Following that up with a split decision win over Darian Weeks in September 2022, he would, of course, lose to Mike Mallett in February of 2023. Fellow Canadian Mike Mallett would submit him in round number one. 
He just took him down and submit him. Johan had no answers for him. Johan will be tested as he takes on Sam Patterson. Sam is 27 years old from England. From uh, He's a British boy. Uh, and he will uh, four KOs and five subs of his 10 victories. So he's only ever uh, had one fight that he won, not go the distance. Um, of course, Sam Patterson came from season six of Davis Contender Series, got around to rear naked chokehold in uh, September 2022. But then last year in uh, March, he got uh, finished in a minute and 15 seconds by Yanal Ashmos. Ooh, Yanal Ashmos. Uh, wow. Yes, I remember Yanal. I believe he Yanal is the only like Jewish fighter in the UFC. Fun fact. But um, gosh, gosh darn it, man. I don't know who to pick for this one. This one's actually close. It's funny. This has no value. It says no value. Only our main card predictions are official when we look at our picks. But I still know. I still know if I pick this correct or not. And I've seen Sam Patterson. He's very lanky. Very lanky. He's got a lot of long arms, long legs. Um, but I guess, you know what? You know what? I didn't pick Malcolm Gordon to win. Give me Johan Liness. I just don't know if Lohan's going to get it done with a knockout. You know, because I think Johan, mm, I've seen him get takedowns once, but that was in a fight he lost. Sam Patterson, meanwhile, has gotten taken down twice, win or lose. Um, so, you know what? Give me, give me, you know what? We're in Canada. Johan's going to be feeling the momentum. He hasn't fought in Canada in a while since his early days, since his amateur days. So give me, you know what? We're This is going to be a fun card. Give me Johan Liness round one TKO. Takedown, ground and pound. I got a good feeling about you, Johan. I think I think I picked Johan. I don't think I picked him against Mike Mallett, but um, I picked him against someone, and he think he won. Darren Weeks, maybe? Beats me. Moving into our fourth fight of the evening, women's strawweight action between Jillian the Savage Robertson and Poliana Dama de Ferro Viana. Wow, fun, fun nicknames here. Jillian is 12 and 8, Poliana Viana 13 and 6. Oh, how about that? 5-5 five, five for each women in height and a 4-inch reach, 67 to 63, in favor of Poliana. Both women have an orthodox stance to them. Jillian Robertson, another Canadian girl, 28 years old only. Um, from Ontario, so um, yeah, she'll be home, home, home territory for this or province as they call it. Um, she does train in Florida occasionally. One KO and nine subs of her twelve career victories, and in the UFC she holds six submissions. I think that's a woman's record, maybe. And actually, fun fact about Jillian Robertson: I believe it was her who submitted um, what's her face Rose Namajunas in a grappling bout not too long ago, a little jujitsu match or something. Jillian last fought in June of twenty twenty three. Uh, not UFC Fight Night Jacksonville lost the unanimous decision to Tabitha Ritchie, but Tabitha Ritchie is legit. Tabitha Ritchie is legit. Don't let that don't let that hole over her head. Before that, I mean, in April of last year, she submitted Pierre Rodriguez in round number two with an armor, earned herself a little performance bonus. Um, Jillian, she's been all over the place. I mean, you know, in the UFC, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. She does have six losses. Couple that with uh, nine wins, I believe. Wow. Man, you've seen it long, long time. She actually, I think she won the Ultimate Fighter. Is this true? Did she win? Or was she just on the Ultimate Fighter, a new world champion finale? I don't know. I don't think she won the Ultimate Fighter, actually. She actually held a submission win over Molly McCann. She's been finished by submission by Mauro Bueno Silva. That's pretty cool. We'll bring her up later. She's been TKO'd by Macy Barber. She submitted Courtney Casey. She's lost decisions to Talia Santos and Miranda Maverick. She's actually submitted Priscilla Cachuela, who fights just before her. 
Uh, this is uh, it's interesting. Jillian Robertson, Canadian fighter. Her opponent, Poliana Viana, 31 years old from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, offered a 13 victories, 5 by knockout, 8 by sub, a 100% finish rate for Poliana Viana. She's never been KO'd. Only lost decisions or been submitted. Um, so far, I mean, it's been a hectic career for Poliana Viana. She is 4-5 and five in the UFC, though, so this is make or break it for Poliana. She's most notable for doing cosplay, and I think she has an OnlyFans, too, so kind of puts a damper on her. Um, all of her wins have been by finish in the UFC, as we mentioned. Um, gosh, I mean, she's lost the decision to J.J. Aldrich and Hannah Cyphers. That's embarrassing. Uh, Jin Yu Frey, she TKO'd in 2022. I mean, lost to Yasmin Lucindo in August of last year in her lone fight. That's that's tough. That's tough. But Yasmin Lucindo's legit. Jillian Robertson is at home. It appears she takes her time with her submissions. You know, last two submission wins have been in round number two. Um, you know what? We we rarely pick round number three. I'm gonna say Jillian Robertson round number three submission. I'm riding with the Canadians to start off the card. Canada starting off three and one on the Zachary Ruger scorecard. Give me a round three sub. Give me a round three sub for Jillian Robertson. Pretty pretty impressive stuff. I don't know. Jillian has kind of floated in and out of almost being in the rankings. You know, but someone like Someone like Michelle Watterson, Carolina Kowalski, Angela Hill in the bottom. You know, it's pretty realistic. She can maybe make one more run. She's only 28. She's only 28. Very crazy. Next one, you do not want to miss this fight. You do not. not you, I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this fight. Bantamweight bout between Sergei Sade and Ramon the Savage Taveras. This is going to fly under the radar because these are two very, very unknown names. These are unknown names, but this is going to be a fight. Let me talk about it. Sergei Sade is 10-1, and one, Ramon Taveras 9-2. and two. Average fight time, all right? Two minutes and 26 seconds for Sergei, a minute and 28 for Ramon Taveras. That's crazy. 5'11 to 5'8, 3 inches in height for Sergei Sade. Uh, 72 inch reach to 72 inches in reach for Sir Hayes Switch stance for today. Southpaw stance for Ramon Taveras. And by the way, this is a rematch. This is a rematch from Dana White's Contender Series, Season 7, Episode 5. About two and a half minutes in, Sir Hayes dropped Ramon Taveras with a punch. And the ref pulled it off, like, right away. Like, right as Ramon Tavares fell, the ref pulled Sade off of him, and it was an early stoppage, okay? So Sade gets a contract, you know, joins the UFC, but Dana White was like, you know what? I'm going to give Ramon one more shot. And also on Season 5, on the final episode, Episode 10, he would get a 29-second knockout of Cortavius Ramonius, and the UFC would say, get him in, and let's rematch this fight. And Sir today, 27 years young, is from Ontario, Canada. He's the hometown boy. Six KOs and two subs of his 10 career victories. Um, by the way, their average fight time was for the UFC. I don't know about outside of it. Currently riding a six-fight win streak. I mean, this is... And he looked impressive. He looked impressive. I mean, when I made my predictions for um, the Daniels Contender Series, you know, remember when we used to talk about Daniels Contender Series back in early September and October? Oh, how it's been so long since we watched Season 7. But, um, you know, I thought he would beat Ramon. He did, but Ramon Tavares, he came out and impressed me. Ramon is 30 years old from Florida. Five KOs and three subs, so of his nine victories, eight by finish. My goodness, this is going to be absolutely fire, and I don't know who to go with. I'm really torn because Sergei already, by the way, Sergei did drop Ramon. We forget that. Even though it was an early stoppage, he did drop him and was punching on him, you know. 
But Ramon followed that up with a 29-second brutal knockout. I mean, it was, and he looked impressive. By the way, he looked impressive in that. I already have Canada at 3-1. and one. I don't know. I'm very torn. We'll see what happens. But I'm going to go with Ramon Tavera. Something's telling me. Actually, I don't know. Actually, no, I'm not I'm torn. Now that I've said his name out loud, I am torn. I am torn. Sir Hayson Day does have a little bit of reach. Does have the height. He's switched stance against the South Bond. You know what? Screw it. I'm going Sir Ace today. We're going Sir Ace today. And you know what? We gotta we gotta make it we gotta make this good. We gotta make this good. So give me do I say we have so many banger fights on this card. We honestly have so many good fights, but guess what? I'm gonna say this is fight of the night. My prediction is fight of the night between Sir Hayes today and Ramon Ferris. I think it goes the distance. I think it's bloody. I think it's intriguing. And I really do believe that this is going to be a banger fight. On the prelims, Sir Hayes today and Ramon Taveras. Ooh, Taveras. Whatever is even a nickname. Ramon is Savage. The Savage Taveras. Ooh. Fun one at Featherweight next as notable fighters. Charles Air Jordan takes on Sean the Sniper Woodson. And shout out to Charles Jordan. He just got put in UFC 5. They put him in the video game. So we'll see if he breaks the curse. I mean, Amir Al-Bazi just pulled out of his fight after being put in the game. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. I don't know. If Yan Chaonin loses to Jung Wei Lee, maybe the curse is real. I don't know. It's pretty fascinating. But, um, yeah, Charles Jourdain, 15-6-1. Sean Woodson, 10-1-1. 6 foot 2 to 5-9. Sean Woodson has ridiculous 5 inches in height over Jordan and a crazy 9 inches in reach. 78-69. to 69. Orthodox stands for Sean. Switch stance for Charles Air Jourdain. Charles Jourdain, 28 years old, is from Quebec. He's a Canadian boy. Eight KOs and five subs make up his 13 of 15 victories. And, you know, Charles, he's been in the UFC since 2019. 2019, so Charles joined when he was just a young little young little lad. How, oh, my gosh, how old was Charles Jourdain? He was probably like, um, probably like 23, 24 when he joined, lost his UFC debut. Then have a crazy fight of the night against Doohu Choi in South Korea. I mean, that is a crazy fight. I encourage everyone to watch that. After that, he would lose a controversial split decision to Andre Feely. Have a split decision draw against Josh Kuliabu. We'll get it going against Marcelo Rojo with a round three knockout. Then get submitted by Julian Arosa. Win a decision against Andre Ewell in December 2021, including a crazy Spartan kick to end the fight. Um, Lenardo Venata, he would then beat in 2 minutes and 32 seconds with a guillotine choke. I remember that because Lenardo Venata's pants fell down. Then he had a rough 2022 following that win over Lando. He would lose a majority decision to Shane Burgos in a fight he almost tripled his significant strikes in. And then would lose a very close unanimous decision in a thing it would. But 2023 was Jordan's year, went 2-0. and Beat Kron Gracie, who had an approach of literally just laying on the mat, trying to get him to do jujitsu, and Charles just boxed him from distance, and then submitted Ricardo Ramos in three minutes and twelve seconds with a guillotine choke. September third, a twenty third that was at UFC Fight Night Fazi versus Gamrot, earning himself a performance bonus. So Charles Jordan, he's the hometown boy or home country, if we will. Sean Woodson on a little four fight unbeaten streak, joined the UFC in uh oh. In 2019, but he actually came from Season 3 of Damage Contender Series, where he finished Terrence McKinney with a flying knee. Very interesting. He would beat Kyle Bochniak, who I believe is also Canadian, in his uh, UFC debut. And then, oddly enough, same as, same, exact same as Charles Zardane, he would get submitted by Julian Arosa, which is actually his only ever career loss. That is pretty fascinating. Following that up, he'd win a split decision over Yusuf Zalal. Then TKO Colin Anglin in round number one. 2022 had a split decision draw. And in his lone fight in 2023 on August, he beat Dennis Bazookja 
using his takedowns. Um, you know what? I have a good feeling this fight's going to be competitive, but I am a, I do enjoy watching Charles Jourdain fight, so I'm going to give Charles this, not because he's Canadian, just because I think he's better. I think I'll height and reach aside. Charles can use his use his um, abilities to win this. I'm saying unanimous. I'm saying unanimous decision. I see this going the distance, but um, I do see Jourdain coming out on top in the end. Good stuff. Charles Jourdain, but it won't be easy. Sean Woodson's legit. Sean Woodson's a sniper. Whew. Won't be too won't be won't be the easiest win for you, Jordan, but we'll see. We'll see. And now we reach our final prelim of the night. And boy, it's a good one. It is a absolute good one. Brad Superman Katona takes on Garrett Armfield. Brad Katona, two-time winner of the Ultimate Fighter. Absolutely stud of a man. Absolute stud. He wears glasses. He looks like a nerd, but he's not. He can fight. 15-2 and two record for Brad. 9-3 and three record for Garrett. Both are 5-6. 70-inch reach to 64 in favor of Garrett, 6 inches. Both fighters have an orthodox stance. Brad Katsona from Manitoba. Now trains in Dublin, Ireland, uh, SBG with uh, same gym as Conor McGregor and his head coaches. Um, the 32-year-old has currently on a five-fight win streak, seven if you include both of his ultimate fighter wins, um, three submissions, and one um, knockout of his 15 wins. So this guy goes the distance. Only career losses um, came in 2019 when he lost to Marab Duvashelli. He actually had a close fight against Marab and then lost to a Hunter Azur before he got released by the UFC. He would come back on the finale of The Ultimate Fighter in August at UFC 292 when he had a fight of the night win over Cody Gibson. But Brad is back in his home, home nation, I would say, of Canada. You know, he floats between Ireland and Canada. But you know what? Happy to have Brad back. And he takes on Garrett Armfield. And Garrett, 27 years old, uh, actually, fun fact, went to Missouri State University. I just saw that. And I was like, oh, cool, fun fact. Um, yeah, 27 years old from Florida. Six KOs and two subs of his nine victories, so eight of nine finishes. His UFC debut in July of 2022, he would unfortunately get David Onama, who would submit him in round number two. Um, following that up in August in uh, 2023, August of this past year at uh, UFC Singapore, he would knock out Toshiami Kazama in round number one. So Garrett's got a little momentum coming in. Pretty good stuff. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about Brad, one thing I'll say about Brad is it's hard to pick a finish with Brad Gadona. It really is. He's just not known as a guy. Um, but Garrett Armfield, he's not known as a guy getting finished, but Garrett Armfield gives me the vibe of someone who's going to get finished. He really does give off that vibe of, oh, I feel like I'm going to get finished. So I'm obviously, I'm picking Brad Katona. Brad Katona is one of my favorite picks of the card. Uh, Garrett Armfield winning would be a huge, huge upset, I think, even betting-wise. Um, so I'll, I'll just have to decide right now, actually, do I think Brad gets a finish? He's only finished four. Of his freaking 15 fights or whatever, um, 15 wins, right? Brad has 15 wins. Only finished four of them. I don't think he's gotten a finish since ugh, 2017, maybe. So I, mm, mm, I'd like to be risky, though. I do like to be risky. Um, do we say Brad Katona gets a submission? I'm going to say so. I'm going to say Brad Katona... Round two submission, just because how just how David Onama did it. Round two submission for Brad Katona. So, prelim predictions are complete. Give me Jimmy Flick, round one submission. Jasmine Jesu Davis, unanimous decision. Johan Liness, round one TKO. Jillian Robertson, round three submission. Say armbar, why not? Uh, Sir Ace today over Ron Tavares in a fight of the night. I don't know if it goes the distance. I don't know if it's one, one round, two round, or three round finish, but this is going to be fight of the night. Charles Jordan over Sean Woodson by unanimous or split decision. And then Brad Gatona, round two submission. 
As of right now, I freaking I gave six of the seven Canadian fighters on the prelims a win. Oh man, that's so risky. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna go. And I think I predicted almost all red corner wins. We'll see what happens. I'm a little biased when it comes to a certain fighters in their home country. Because the United States doesn't really count personally because there's just so many fighters from the United States. Five fights remain. These ones, these are the ones that matter. These go in our official record book of predictions. Okay, so we got to be pretty, pretty spot on with how we do this. Y'all ready? Let's get our main card kicked off for UFC 297 with a featherweight bout. And finally, finally we get ranked first. First off, this should not be the opening, the main card, all right? But by the way, this fight is honestly has more stakes than one's Bantamweight Championship bout, okay? People care more about this, all right? Um, we've got number nine ranked, Mosfar Evlov, and number four ranked, Arnold Allen, in the men's featherweight division. The winner will be ranked number four, potentially even number three. Absolutely crazy stakes in this one as Arnold Almighty Allen takes on the undefeated Russian fighter, Mosfar Evlov. Arnold Allen, 19-2 record. Most of our Evloff, 17-0. One-inch height advantage for Arnold Allen, 5'8 to 5'7. Two-inch reach advantage for most of our Evloff, 72 to 70. A southpaw stance for Arnold with the left hand and an orthodox stance with the right for most of our Evloff. This is a fun one. Arnold Allen, the 29-year-old, is from England. Of his 19 victories, 7 by knockout, 4 by sub. And his only two losses have been by decision. Most recently was the one in April of 2023 where he lost to Max Holloway by an decision, but did come and swing in towards the end. And by the way, on the official scorecards, he um, won one round, um, easily won one round, and actually won two on one judge's scorecard. How about that? Arnold Allen at one point was on an incredible run. I mean, he was what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He saw a ten-fight win streak in the UFC with three finishes. Um, he had a round one knockout of Dan Hooker. Unfortunately, a round two injury win over Calvin Cater, beat Sadiq Youssef. I mean, he has had, he's been in the UFC a long time, and you know, Arnold, you know, it's tough to say where he goes from here, but a win over the undefeated Mosvarevov would definitely skyrocket him to another top matchup. And I mean, it's not even like Max dominated him, all right? It was just Max casually outstriking him. Arnold wasn't even that bloody. I don't even remember if he maybe had some swelling or something, but honestly, he didn't do too bad. Now, the only issue for Arnold is he takes on an undefeated Russian. Ooh, they are scary. 29-year-old Mosafar Evlov from Russia. Three KOs and four subs of his 17 victories. So he has 10 decisions. He's a decision machine. Um, actually trains American top team. Trains American top team. Notable Jim, um, Jorge Masvidal, I mean, freaking Dustin Poirier. A lot of notable guys train there. And Mosafar Evlov debuted in 2019. Yeah, decision win. 2019 again, narrow decision win. 2020, narrow decision win. 2021, split decision win. Uh, 2021, narrow decision win. 2022, finally had a notable name in Dan Ige. Nine takedowns. All right, he's um, took him down, yeah. But uh, his most notable fight, May of 2023, he took on Diego Lopez on short notice. Had a fight of the night against Diego. Looked impressive. The striking was shaky. I will say, when we look at this matchup, Arnold Allen has a significant advantage in striking. Mosvar has a significant advantage in grappling. One, one thing I'll point out, though, is that this is pretty crazy. In his UFC career, Mosvar Evlov has landed 33 takedowns. Okay, 33 takedowns. And has never been, he's only been outstruck and outstriked once. That was against Enrique Barzola in 2019, so nothing nothing to say about that. Meanwhile, Arnold Allen has actually only been taken down, um, I mean, actually, you know, look at this. He's been taken down 12 times, but that was actually in a four-fight span from 2018 to 2015. He hasn't been taken down in a UFC fight since 2019. 
All right. And in his last three fights, no one took him down. I'm mind well, he's fighting strikers, Dan Hooker, Kevin Kerr, Max Holloway. But, I mean, sort of Yusuf shoots for takedowns, and he couldn't land one. So this should be interesting how this goes. I definitely will either see you'll either see Arnold Allen TKOing Mozafar or you will see Mozafar grappling him to a decision. I like undefeated guys. I personally find them easy to bet on. So give me Mozafar Evlov by we'll say split. Let's go split. We're gonna say split decision. I think the striking at times will be what leans people toward Arnold, but I think the takedowns and control will favor Mozafar Evlov. You know, I would like to say otherwise. Because, I mean, when we go to Verdict, and Verdict's a perfect example of how what to expect, a knockout from Mozavar gets you 43 times your XP. A submission, 21 times. Decision is 3.8. So Mozavar's the underdog. Arnold Allen's the favorite. But I got to ride with the Russian boy, Mozavar. Mozavar's actually kind of weird. He did an interview with Sneeko. Not a big fan of Sneeko. I don't hate him or love the guy, but um, kind of unopinionated. But uh, he basically said that it is better to take younger wives. When he was 23, he was given a 17-year-old wife, which six-year age difference isn't that weird. You know, my my parents are like four years. I mean, I've known people who are, you think about Jay and Gloria from our family, they're far apart. But when they're 17... You know, when you're 23, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. You know, when if you were 23 and 29, different story. You know, even 21 and 28, different kind of different. But yeah, it's just kind of weird. It's kind of weird most far. But um, yet again, you know, I took anthropology, and it's a different culture. It's a different culture in Russia, a different culture in that part of the world. I'm not even good. I'm not gonna try to defend what most of us said, but I'm just, I'll just give it a different side to it. I don't know. Most far, if you lose. That will age pretty hilariously. And if you win, could come back to bite you. Checking in next, in the middleweight division, we have Chris Curtis. Actually, Chris, isn't his nickname Action Man? Isn't it Chris Action Man Curtis? Um, yes, Chris Action Man Curtis takes on Mark Powerbar. Mark Andre Powerbar. <laughs> wow, what a... What a wacky name there. Is uh, Chris Curtis still ranked? He is currently ranked number 14. Chris Curtis is currently ranked number 14 at middleweight. Um, Chris Curtis, 30 and 10 with one no contest. This dude's a legend. He's been around the block a while. Marc-Andre Bauhut, 16 and 6 with a no contest. 6-1 to 5-10 in favor of Marc-Andre Bauhut. He's got a little 3-inch height advantage. Uh, 1-inch reach advantage for Chris, 75 to 74. Both fighters fight orthodoxly. Chris Curtis, of course, your number 14 ranked middleweight in the world. Um, the 36-year-old was born in Ohio, but now uh, lives and trains in Las Vegas at Extreme Couture. Him and uh, him and uh, Sean Strickland are boys, by the way. So Extreme Couture looking to go 2-0 on the night with their boys. Um, Chris Curtis, 15 KOs and three submissions of his 30 uh, victories. Big knockout guy, big knockout guy. Came into the UFC in 2021, but um, he actually had won on Dana White's Contender Series in 2018. Got a round three knockout of Sean Lally, but did not get the call, did not come into the UFC. Takes a fight against Phil Hawes on short notice. And at the time, this was impressive, before we knew that Phil Hawes had no chin, he knocked out Phil Hawes in round number one. Following that up, another short notice fight, he beat Brendan Allen in round number two with a performance of the night TKO, which has aged incredibly. And Brendan Allen is now a top 10 guy. And following that, he would stuff 21 takedowns from Adolfo Vieira to an decision win. In July 22, he unfortunately lost to Jack Hermanson in a very terrible fight. So boring. Just struck each other the whole time. But then following that, he would knock out Joaquin Buckley in round number two at UFC 282 on December 2022. 
2023 did not go so kindly to Chris Curtis. Lost a fight of the night to Kelvin Gastelum in April. And then had a no contest head clash loss to Nazardine Imabov in 2023. But he was losing that fight, so kind of worked out in his favor. The action man returns to take on fellow, um, not fellow Canadian, but Canadian Marc-Andre Powerbar Barriute. I don't like the Powerbar nickname. Marc-Andre Barriute. Um, the 33-year-old is from Quebec, but uh, he actually trains in Florida. 10 KOs and one sub, so he's 11 of 16 finishes. 11 of his uh, wins are by finish of his 16 in total. I kind of said that weirdly. Um, I'm surprised Marc-Andre Bellut is even still in the UFC. You know, from 2019 to 2020, he he did not win four straight fights, all right? He makes his debut in May of 2019, loses a decision to Andrew Sanchez. Then July 2019, loses a decision to Christoph Joko. Then December 2019, loses a decision to Jungkook Park. Then finally gets a win over Oscar Pichota in June of 2020, and it's overturned due to a positive drug test. Following that up, though, would beat Abu Azatir by finished, win a unanimous decision over Dolce Lee Chambula. In February 2022, I did witness one of the craziest chaos when Chidi and Chukani TKO'd him in 16 seconds, dropped him with a punch, and just laid into him. Mark would follow that up with an April 2022 submission win in round number one over Jordan Wright. Then in September 2022, would get finished by Anthony Hernandez, but 2023 went perfectly for him. A round two knockout of Julian Marquez in March, and in his home nation of Canada, would be Eric Anders in a fight of the night. Unanimous decision. Look, Marc-Andre Barriute, he's risky. He takes risk, and you do not take risks against the action man. Chris Curtis. Desperately in need of a win. He likes to do highlight real KOs. Give me Chris Curtis. Round two knockout. Give me him. Give it to me. Round two knockout for Chris Curtis. I can't give all the Canadian boys wins. I can't give all the Canadian boys wins. Chris Curtis, you know, I have good faith in him. I have good faith in Chris Curtis. I think he actually like a knockout knockout. You know, not just a little TKO. I think he hits him hard and Mark falls and it's like, oh, my gosh, he's out. Um, But, yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. And with a win like this, Chris could start looking up in the rankings for once instead of having to fight Nazardine Imovov and Calvin Gastelum. So, yeah, fun stuff there. Third fight of the evening, you are witnessing a rising star making his big statement. Mike Mallett takes on Neil Magny. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a fun one indeed. Neil, the Haitian sensation Magny, and Mike Proper Mallett. Mike Mallett was actually um, added to the game with Charles Jordan in the most recent UFC EA Sports 5 update. Neil Magny, 28-12 record. Mike Mallett, 10-1-1. His only loss, actually, is to Hakeem Dawido. 6-3-6-1, 2 inches in height for Neil and 7 inches in reach for Neil, 80-73. Both fighters fight orthodoxly. Neil Magny, actually... Is currently ranked number 13 in the welterweight division. Been at this a long time, ladies and gentlemen. Neil Magny's been at it since 2013 in the UFC. The 36-year-old is from Illinois. Trains at Elevation Fight Team, same gym as Curtis Blades, Corey Sanhagen, Random Maverick, a lot of noble UFC fighters fight there. He has seven KOs and four subs of his 28 victories, so he goes to a lot of decisions. I mean, been in the UFC for so long. Um, Holt wins over Tim Means. Uh, losses to Damian Maya, win over Calvin Gastelum, win over Hector Lombard, win over Johnny Hendricks, lost to Rafael Dos Anjos, win over Carlos Condit, was knocked out cold by Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, wins over Lee Jing Leong, Robbie Lawler, lost to Michael Chiesa, wins over Jeff Neal, Max Griffin, losses to Shavka, wins over Daniel Rodriguez in 2023. 
kind of interesting here. We'll lose to Gilbert Burns by uh, arm bar in round number one or arm triangle. Um, then we'd have a boring fight and we lose a wrong. He should not have won a split decision over Phil Rowe in June of 2023. Then in August, um, Ian Gary would absolutely destroy him. So he's an ultimate gatekeeper. Ian Gary passed him. Up next to try and break into the top 15 is the surging Canadian prospect, the 32-year-old from Quebec, Mike Proper Mallet. Actually trains American Tot team as well, um, the Sacramento one. Four KOs and six subs give him a 100% finish rate, and he's currently on a six-fight win streak. Actually joined um, UFC in 2022 after winning on Season 5 of Daniel's Contender Series. We get a 39-second guillotine choke. He would then knock out Mickey Gall in April of 2022 in three minutes and 41 seconds. 2023, couldn't have gotten any better. Submits Johan Laness in round number one, earning himself a performance bonus. And then, just like Marc-Andre Barriute, and just like, um, who else fought in Canada? Charles Jordan? I believe so. But um, Mike Mallett fought in Canada at UFC 289 last June. Had a round two guillotine choke of Adam Fujit. Dominated him on the feet. Dominated him on the ground. Mike Mallett is here to play. And I'll say, I will say, this is, this is an interesting fight. I like to point this out because Neil Magny just doesn't get finished that often, you know? It's really special occasions. Last time Neil was finished was against Gilbert Burns. Before that, Shavka Rachmanov, both by submission. And before that, it was 2018 he was getting knocked out. So it's been a while since Neil's gotten finished, you know, um, like often, you know. But the thing is, is Mike Mallett is on a 100% finish streak. And I wanted to go with a unanimous decision, but something's telling me he sneaks out a little round three submission. So I'm easily going Mike Mallett. I easily got Mike Mallett. But when it comes down to the finish, give me a round three sub. Two round three subs on the card. Who else am I saying gets a round three sub? Jillian Robertson. How about that? Super fun stuff. I just, I like what Mike Mallett brings. Young up-and-comer. I think he gets it done. Neil Magny just, I don't know. I don't like Neil Magny for some reason. It's nothing personal. I just, I don't like his style. He's so boring. Um, Mike Mallett. Got the momentum, got everything going for him. I think he slaps on a little guillotine or rear naked choke towards the end and gets the tap. Give it to me. Man, oh man. And by the way, you already know we're going for finishes in our next two fights. So to recap our Canadian picks, I am predicting um, of the nine Canadian fights, seven to go to the Canadians. All right. So current main card picks, Mosfar Evlov over Arnold Allen by split decision. Chris Curtis over Marc-Andre Ballou by round two knockout. And Mike Mallett over Neil Magny by round three submission. But that's not it. We're not done. We still have two more fights, two championship fights to discuss. Our first one, a fun one, an interesting one. You know, it's not that fun, honestly. If I'm being honest, it's not that fun. But uh, the vacant Women's Bantamweight Championship is on the line as Hakuel Rocky Pennington takes on Myra Shitara Bueno Silva. Ooh. Lots of fun nicknames. Hawkwell Pennington, Rockwell Pennington, if you will. 15-9 and nine record. Myra Bono Silva, 10-2-1 with one no contest. 5-7-5-6, one inch in height for Hawkwell Pennington, and a 67-66, one inch reach for Hawkwell Pennington as well. Both women have an orthodox stance to how they fight. Hawkwell Pennington, 35 years of age for... Um, what is she ranked? Rockwell Penton is the number 12 woman in the pound for pound rankings and the number two woman's bandweight in the world. Um, one KO and four subs make up her 15 career victories. So a lot of decisions for Rockwell Pennington. Um, this is actually her second time 
uh, competing for the Bantamweight Women's Bantamweight Championship. She got TKO'd in round number five in 2018 at UFC 224 by the GOAT, Amanda Nunes. But Pennington's been in the UFC since 2013. I mean, she's had losses to Jessica Andrade, losses to Holly Holm, wins over Jessica Andrade, wins over Beth Correa, wins over Misha Tate, losses to Jermaine Durandamy, Amanda Nunes, as we mentioned, wins over Irene Aldana. Her last loss, though, was in January of 2020 when she lost to unanimous decision to Holly Holmes. Since then, She's been on a five-fight win streak. Wins over Marina Renault. Wins over Pan Kianzid. A submission of Macy Chisone in December 2021. Win over Aspen Land in 2022. And in January of 2023, won a split decision over Ketlin Vieira. That was a boring fight. We're not going to talk about it. So, Pennington looking to get back to the uh, where she belongs. Win, winning, obviously. Um... Uh, actually, I thought she was married to Amanda Nunes, was actually Nina Nunes, so I thought that was pretty funny, as I was like, oh, they fought, but I thought they were married. I was incorrect, but Hawkwell, look, you got boring style, all right? You're not entertaining. Let me tell you someone, let me tell you someone who's entertaining. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about who's entertaining, and that is Myra Shitara Bueno Silva. I am excited to watch her fight. The 32-year-old is from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Ooh, one KO and seven subs make up her 10 career victories. She has six subs in the first round, by the way. And so far in the UFC, she has had a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, and an overturned six against Holly Holmes. Her last fight was overturned against Holly Holmes due to steroid allegations, which were actually disproven, but the fight still counts as a no contest. So she is technically on a four-fight unbeaten streak. We, we count them as wins, though. Um, dating back to 2022, I mean, she and her only two career losses, by the way, are to Myra Marie Marina Moroz, um, Ukraine fighter, who uh, she had a fight in the night lost to in 2020, and Manon Fiorat, who she lost to unanimous decision to in 2021, but got on this little run, fight of the night, went over Wu Yanan in April 2022, round one R bar of Stephanie Egger in 2022, 2023, had a round two knee bar performance of the night against Lita Landsberg, and then, of course, did earn 50k performance bonus for that Holly Holmes win, main event win, back in July of uh, last year. It was overturned, but she showed so much prowess in that. She submitted Holly Holmes in round number two, and I think that Myra Bueno Silva submits Hockwell and Pennington in round number one. I, le- I legit just think that Myra Bueno Silva marches across and submits Hockwell Pennington. And Pennington was saying during this fight week, she's like, oh, Myra Bueno Silva's been acting so weird. Like, I don't know why she's acting so weird. Like, she's trying to get in your head, she's trying to be different, and you're not entertaining, Pennington. There is no excitement to her, she would not make a good one's bantamweight champ. The best for business decision is Myra Bueno Silva getting the round one sub. Actually, I got right in my notes right now, round one sub for Myra Bueno Silva. I absolutely love it. Make it seven round one submissions. I don't know how she does it, armbar guillotine choke something something give it to me Mario Bueno so give it to me and we're setting up perfectly to be able to upload this episode to YouTube as we get into our final fight the whole reason we're tuning in let's be real the whole reason we are tuning in is to watch this fight Driscus Duplessis Sean Strickland the middleweight belt is on the line let's get into the fight ladies and gentlemen Sean Strickland your champion Driscus still knocks Duplessis your challenger. Sean Strickland, 28 and 5 professional record. Just as Duplessis, 20 and 2 professional record. Both fighters are 6 foot 1, have a 76 inch reach, but an orthodox stance for Sean Strickland and a switch stance for Justice Duplessis. I mean, Sean Strickland has that typical boxer stance, just walks forwards, fist in the air. Duplessis is just a wild cannon. Let's talk about our challenger. 
First, Drykus Duplessis. I think it's Drykus. It's either Driscus or Drykus. I think it's Drykus. Um, 30 years old from South Africa. The only South African fighter uh, of success. I think Cameron Samian kind of sucks. <laughs> um, of his 20 victories, absolutely insane. Nine KOs and 10 submissions. He's only ever not finished a fight once. That was against Brad Tavares in July of 2022, where he literally turned his bleach blonde hair red. He literally turned his hair red from all the blood. He's currently on an eight-fight win streak, and he's actually 6-0 and in the UFC. Debuted in October of 2020, knocked out Marcus Perez in round number one. Trevin Giles in July of 2021, he would have a performance of the night knockout. Of course, the Brad Tavares fight in July of 2022. In December of 2022, though, at UFC 282, he finally has breakout. Submitted Darren Till with a neck crank in round number three. Following that, in March of 2023, last year, he would win a wild fight against Derek Brunson where they exhausted themselves, and Derek Brunson's corner threw in the towel to end round two. Then, July 2023, the big breakout of Driscus Duplessis as he would TKO, he would knock down and finish Robert the Reaper Whitaker. Absolutely crazy. Duplessis is your number two contender. Adesanya is still ahead of him in the rankings, but we all know he's the number one guy to fight for the belt. Um, and fun fact, Duplessis in his whole career has never made it past round number three. Right, he's only ever been in three round fights, or he's finished all his opponents. It's it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy stat. Um, he's a super wild, super fun fighter. He loves to throw Superman punches, which are fun to watch. Loves to take it down. Loves to scrap. This is gonna be a war. And it's been a very weird build up to this fight. I feel like we're gonna get an emotional Sean Strickland. Duplessis seems very calm. Knows with that. Knows what is at stake. Knows what he has to do. This should be very interesting. Let's talk about the wild cannon. Let's talk about the crazy man. Let's talk about your middleweight champion and your number eight pound-per-pound pound fighter. That is right, the great, the crazy, the sometimes homophobic Sean Strickland. Oh, my gosh, your 2023 Men's Fighter of the Year. Actually, not even just men's, your 2023 MMA Fighter of the Year. Sean freaking Strickland, the 32-year-old from Las Vegas, born and raised, trains at Extreme Couture. He's the face of the gym, same gym as his buddy Chris Curtis. Um, 11 KOs and four subs of his 28 career victories. So a lot of decisions for Sean, but you know, I, th I believe of those 11 knockouts, six are in the round, in round one, so pretty impressive. And of his five losses, none have been submissions. So he's never been submitted, which is an interesting fact. Sean joined the UFC in 2014 as a welterweight, was undefeated up until his fight against Santiago Ponzinibbio in 2015, where he lost a unanimous decision. After going on a little three-fight run, which included win over Tom Breeze, he would lose a unanimous decision to Kamaru Usman. That was in 2017 on Kamaru's crazy run. After getting a win, he would get finished for the first time in his career when Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos would shockingly knock him out with a hand kick in round number one. After that, he would have one more fight at welterweight, getting a knockout before moving to middleweight, which was the best career decision he ever made. He would debut at the Apex, finishing Jack. Actually, he didn't finish Jack Marshman. Jack Marshman, that's his real freaking name. Um, he absolutely embarrassed him, though, was talking to him the whole fight. Following that, though, this win has aged incredibly. In November 2020, he would get a performance of the night round two TKO of Brendan All-In-Allen. After that, he would win a unanimous decision over Christoph Jotko, beat Uriah Hall in a five-round main event, beat Jack Hermanson in a five-round main event, which was unrulefully a split decision. was not at all. Then, we thought Sean's run was over, as Alex Pajero would knock him out in two and a half minutes into round number one. We were like, damn, that's it. 
But Sean would turn around in December of 2022 and have a split decision loss to Jared Kinnear. Debated. It was a very close fight. Could have gone either way. Sean was pissed, so he took a short notice fight against that short notice fight against Najdin Imovov in January of 2023, and history was made. Dominated the young gun through five rounds. Then in July, finished Abus Magomedov in a performance of the night in round number two. In September at UFC 293, not but four to five months ago, he would earn a performance of the night for his five-round win over Israel Adesanya. Clean almost finishing him in round number one. He dropped him with a straight. Absolutely crazy. Sean Strickland, you bloody, bloody legend. I'm so pumped for this fight. It's going to be so good. And I'm torn. I'm torn on who to pick. And I feel even up until the fight is currently happening, I'll be torn on who I'm going to pick. But I actually do have a prediction. I do have a prediction. I do have a prediction. I think it's one that not people are not a lot of people are expecting. And I am going with Driscus Duplessis. And by the way, 69% of bets are on Duplessis because he's an underdog. But one thing that is being overlooked is his submission abilities. Duplessis has more submissions than knockouts on his record. And they kind of fly under the radar for his last two wins being by knockout. But what I think is going to happen, you know, a lot of, a lot of theme tonight has been submissions. I think this fight gets scrappy. It winds up on the ground, and Duplessis submits Sean Strickland in round number two. That's my bold prediction. That's my bold prediction. A round two submission for Driscus Duplessis to become the new Dragus Duplessis, to become the new men's middleweight champion. That is my bold prediction for this event. So that's right. That's right. My championship picks, Myra Bueno Silva, round one sub. And Duplessis, round two sub. I'm feeling a rear naked chokehold, honestly. I, I honestly am. That's what I'm feeling, a rear naked chokehold. And I don't know if Sean's going to tap. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to go to sleep, but this is going to be a crazy main event. And honestly, I could see any scenario happening. I could see Sean knocking him out. I could see this fight going the distance. Quick round one knockout for Duplessis. I don't know, but, you know, man, this is a great pay-per-view to start 2024. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing, but that'll do it. That will do it for our UFC 297 predictions. I got all my guys highlighted, all my predictions. This should be fun. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode, episode 58. Wow, 58 episodes of the Surprise Jab Podcast. It's always fun talking to you guys twice a week. And next time I talk to you will most likely be Monday, January 22nd, where we'll be going over all the action from the divisional round, all the action from UFC 297 and all sorts of fun new stuff. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.